0: this week we talked to the director of the film that has my favorite title of the year so far empire of light it's sam mendez plus we talk to a director who's outstanding in a field of his own it's todd field director of tar and we speak to the men behind megan super producers james wan and jason blum all that and more on the movie podcast that has heard about the rumored trophiles salient Francis Ford Coppola on Megalopolis and would like to suggest this. Megalopolis Francis? Don't think that's going to go over well at the box office, mate. Megan though. That's a whole different kettle of fish. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast for the first official time in 2023. Last week we did a kind of unofficial podcast, but this is it. We're back in the studio and we are me... And my two colleagues of such lethal cunning, only three mics this week. No fourth chair. Geek Queen Helen O'Hara is here. Hello, Helen O'Hara. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes. Good, good, good. And uh, our great big fucking nerve is here. He is back. It is James Dyer. Hello, James. And of course, you may be thinking, I couldn't hear James there. Why is that? And that's because if you want to hear what James Dyer has to say in this podcast, you have to subscribe to James Dyer Plus, a new (laughs) subscription service (laughs) that we are launching for just £400 a minute.
1: (laughs) £400 a minute? It seems
0: excessive. You can listen to everything James Dyer says on this podcast. No, only kidding. Hello, Jimbo, how are you? I'm good. You are, of course, referring to Pilot Plus, (laughs) Pilot TV's new
2: premium tier, which gives you an extra... Amount of time with me every week for one ninety. That's so how no, interesting two the price plan. To ignore the interesting price <laughs> plan is for one ninety nine a month. You'll get Pilot Plus where you have an extra podcast with me. For four ninety nine a month, I will not talk to you at all. So that's, uh, that's oh you know. no, I didn't yeah, realize yeah, that option yeah, was available. Like yeah. you won't be able to hear me on this podcast. I'll be completely muted
0: on Pilot. Like mm-hmm. it's a complete James directomy. Four ninety nine a, a month. Beg your pardon. <laughs> <laughs> There's too much James Dyer I need to have some force to be removed. Yeah. Uh, how much to stop you from breaking into my flat uh, and staring at me while I sleep? Which uh, is something that you do that's non-negotiable <laughs> uh, very excited he, it says here about, <laughs> about pilot plus and uh, you can of course subscribe to that and listen while we're doing big sales, uh, we might as well uh, plug the sporter special subscription channel which is going great guns and that is uh, available right now wherever you cast your pods so sign up what's it supportingcast it's empire.supportingcast.fm like it. slash pilot TV I believe empire.supportingcast.fm yeah. yeah. <laughs> forward slash James Dyer plus <laughs> and uh, that is very very exciting that's just 299 a month and you get all our supporter specials all 301 of them at a time of wow. recording with the avatar the way of water sporter special to come just as soon as I finish editing it uh it and then doing all the effects <laughs> it, may, it may take a it may take a while I'm trying <laughs> Trying to render James in real time and quite frankly it's breaking my computer <laughs> uh-huh, Yeah,
1: and, and I'll be honest I don't know that you needed to invent new technology for it <laughs> yeah. um, I, I felt like you maybe have gone a little bit overboard there but I, I don't want to interfere with your artistic process
0: let's yeah. not do that and then we are also doing a live show folks we are doing episode 550 of the Empire Podcast we're coming to you live from King's Place on Thursday February 2nd tickets are on sale right now kingsplace.co.uk it is our spiritual home it is going to be an absolutely belter of an episode we're all going to be there aren't we we definitely are 100% going to be there Uh, we're going to have a celebrity guest or maybe even two schedules willing and it's going to be a whole ton of fun Uh, and as usual with these things if we can sell out in the room or get close to selling out I'm not sure where we are at the moment with that then we will make it available for people to stream as well because we understand that not everyone can get to London especially on a school night but there you go Thursday, February 2nd, episode 550 of the Empire podcast. Very exciting indeed. kingsplace.co.uk And while we're at it with the big plugs, there was such a wild and rapturous reception given to last week's very special podcast, the preview of 2023, on which Noah Bombback uh, appeared in conversation with Helen, that we're now launching Noah bombback Plus, uh, <laughs> where you can listen to last week's interview with Noah Bombback that Helen did for White Noise. Uh, in fact, you know what? I'm going to play it in its entirety right now as a, as a freebie to you guys. Here it is. Noah ba- no, but only kidding. Only kidding. <laughs> I'm not doing that again. Uh, Yes, but just for, for £1,000 a minute, <laughs> you could listen to that interview all over again. But anyway, there we go. Big plugs out of the way. How are you both?
1: Yeah, good. You know, I mean, it's January, so obviously I'm, I'm just hanging in there. But I, I went last night to see Buffy revamped uh, at the Wilton Music Hall.
2: Oh, I finally just was- got that.
1: And yeah, yeah
3: <laughs> <banks>.
1: <laughs> so the idea is it's basically a one-man show and it is, you know, inverted commas, Spike from Buffy, uh, talking you through all seven seasons uh, in a very amusing Does he do a good James Masters? It, I'll be honest, he doesn't really try to ah. do James Masters that hard. What he does do is like just has everybody involved at some point. He does quite a good Giles, weirdly. Um, but everybody else, it's its more the vibe, James is really. a good
0: Giles. Just use your normal speaking voice. Yes. There you go. Call me Ripper. Yeah. My (laughs) word. I used to love Buffy, but I've I've kind of lost touch with all the characters, including the um oh what was the name of the vampire slayer on that show? <laughs> what was it? What was it? <laughs> Beatrice. Oh, yeah. Faith, no. Faith.
1: Kendra. Oh yeah.
0: yeah. Faith. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yes. So uh, all good, all good. Um, good Christmases, good New Years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah. 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 Hasn't
0: has not got any better or worse since last week's podcast that we did after Christmas. But it's, it's, it's I didn't all ask good. you that. That was
1: not an official number. You're right. Podcast. So it doesn't
0: count. It doesn't it's count. like an insubstantial. No, we had we had one hour to preview twenty twenty three. We, we were laser focused, not like we are on this yeah. podcast where nope. we go, we take the long way around. Yeah, no, rambling um, no rambling nonsense. No rambling nonsense. In fact, that is my resolution to you guys this year. No more rambling nonsense on the <laughs> podcast. What presents did you get?
1: <laughs> that is uh, that is a good question. Did you get anything movie got... related? I don't think I did. Oh, that's a terrible answer, isn't it? No, I don't think I did this year.
2: Nothing movie related.
1: Nothing movie related. I uh, I'm sorry. No. I got some books. You know. Okay. Yeah. Any
0: any movie related books? Any no, books that might become a movie? movie. No.
1: I don't wow. Think
0: so. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jimbo, I have you, nothing for you. What about you? Uh, well, I
2: have I well I say I say I I got Well I say that uh, <laughs> which is a joke that no one who has not worked for Empire <laughs> would understand. But um yes, I started reading S.A. Chakraborty's The Devabad trilogy, a nice fancy trilogy series which I'm enjoying enormously. Uh-huh. I got that just before Christmas though. Um uh-huh. I bought myself a present. Oh, good. So I bought, I've been, there was a wall that needed a picture. So, and I had a frame and so I needed a picture for it. So I found online, had printed and put in it a very nice, slightly abstract painting of Thanos' Infinity Gauntlet. Now, now, I know, I know there is nothing more on Bram and this is absolutely true, but I genuinely do now have a framed painting of the gauntlet with all the stones uh, set into it uh, and it, it looks fabulous.
1: I did actually get a cool movie-related Christmas Christmas. Oh, present. okay. Here we it's go. It's just Here come back go. to my mind. Because I got it before Christmas as well. But Was it Tony's
0: early. Nano Gauntlet, which <laughs> no, trumps <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet? No, it would trump
1: the Infinity Gauntlet. No, I got um, the Home Alone house I know. You, you've, mentioned, you've, you've mentioned this mentioned on the it podcast. Before. Yeah. I know, but I was How just How long did you. it take it to Christmas. build? Um, I basically sort of parceled it out and did it kind of, you know, there were numbered bags, so I'd do a couple of numbered bags at a time. So it took me until just after Christmas Okay. Yeah, it was, it, it, it and it's like incredibly detailed and you can open up all the floors and like fix all the things like the shelves in his brother's that room fall over, you know, there's the tarantula, there's the his plan to protect the house is like on a little thingy in the attic.
2: Is there a Love Actually Lego set that I can have?
1: Oh, God, I hope not. What would he, <laughs> What would that even look like? Like a little Lego the, man uh... holding a bunch of, you know, Lego, Lego
0: signs, yeah. yeah, being Lego problematic, yeah. I mean, the Love more, Actually like, monopoly, yeah. I, you know, which we talked about on the podcast. So I don't want to recycle all the jokes uh, in the Review of the Year podcast. We talked about that, uh, but that 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 alone, just stop there. Stop there.
1: <laughs> that makes a certain amount of sense, but like, <laughs> what would you have a like a Lego number ten? Like, how is it the whole of London? How does yes. this work, yes, man? Is. You haven't well, thought it through. The whole of
2: London and. It's, oh, that's right. <laughs> it's, I, so, so we should point out, we should point out, and the worst part of this is, I'm, I'm clearly going to forget, but a journalist wrote the best definitive piece on Love Actually about, what, 10 years ago? Why it's terrible. Yeah, and it's... Even though I obviously disagree with it being terrible, it is the funniest piece, and I really enjoy it, and everyone should should look for it. I tweeted it before uh, Christmas, but I don't... uh, I can't remember what her name was. But one of the things she points out is that when... uh, I love the fact that it never really tweaked me beforehand that Colin Firth goes to France Mm. to finish his novel and encounters a woman who only speaks Portuguese and her entire family who also only speaks Portuguese in France. yeah. Surely Surely that's it is does
0: that's unusual. Does he go to France? I thought you went to Portugal. No, uh, no, it's, so it's France. France. It's all France. But they well, only that's speak ruined Portuguese. that movie for me now. Yeah, along with all the other dreadful shit. <laughs> anyway, it's really t- that's, that's one let's, of the strands I like as well.
1: Let's not relitigate Love Actually. Oh, we should. No,
0: we should always relitigate Love Actually until it actually goes to prison. It's amazing. Leave it alone, and it does not get out of prison, even if you pass go or whatever it is a Monopoly. I've got loads of Monopolies. But I didn't get a Monopoly this year, even though there is a Monopoly, a Greenwich Monopoly. Did is you that, see this? Yeah, no, there's a, wow. they brought out a Royal Borough of Greenwich Monopoly. I suspect I'm one of the playing pieces. Wow, well,
1: I was a playing piece when I lived in Paris as a student.
0: Did you play with yourself? Um, <laughs> Steady.
1: No, because Monopoly was unaware not of, a very of any <laughs> implications
0: of their sentence.
1: Monopoly is not a very good game, so I think it's like, a terrible.
0: I, what do you mean you were one of the playing pieces? Game.
1: I, I lived on Avenue de Breteuil which is one of the dark green. Oh, I thought I thought like, you like you got
0: the boot, the hat, the hell Helen. The yeah. Helen. No, not, like that. I, not okay. that. No, but I
1: okay. was a square. So I lived col- on a you square. are a square. <laughs> hey, I am a square. I resemble that <laughs> remark. <laughs> oh i mean, I've sorry, missed this. Can I tell you Have what a square I? I am? I got to the theatre last night for Buffy revamped, and, uh, and oh, it said,
0: revamped!
1: <laughs> and it said this: this is seventy minutes with no interval. And I went, "Ooh, I'll be home early."
0: <laughs>
1: That's what a square
0: I, mean, I am. Time for my
1: holics, <laughs> pretty much.
0: Wow, Carstairs will fetch me my slippers. <laughs> I haven't even told you about mine. Presents, yeah, please. All right. I got some trainers I got some uh, but the movie related thing I got I didn't get a lot uh, of stuff this year because you know we, we had a different focus for the present but I got James Bond socks Ooh. as in not the not socks that James Bond himself would wear with little sock suspenders no, sadly <laughs> not, but uh, but but um, socks that have famous characters or moments from James Bond films depicted on them. I think they're from the London Sock Exchange, and so I, I oh, got one that, I like that is... Yeah, thank, oh, oh, I don't know why I... I <laughs> Thanks, yeah, <laughs> I didn't think it. I'm take in, taking but. the credit for it, <laughs> and one's the Rosa Klebb, another one is, I think, the bit from... Goldeneye, where he jumps off the the, the dam. Did
2: the Club ones have a little
0: blade on the Sadly toe? not. Or indeed, a laser. Or a blazer. blazer. <laughs> uh, first one of the year. Out of the way. I feel good. I feel good. Uh, anyway, should we have some questions?
1: Let's think. Please. please, right. please I, asked, God.
0: I asked people for questions, right? Uh-huh. And some questions came in. I found them wanting, but I'll throw some at you guys and you can just do a quick fire round, All okay? Right. okay. Uh, here's one from someone. Andrew J Reichart, uh, who says he's likely either in Houston, Texas, or Denver, Colorado, trying to throw the government off your scent. A, uh, in 2023, will either Ant-Man 3 or Guardians 3 top Thor Ragnarok for best threequel in the MCU? I'm guessing.
1: I mean, Civil War exists, so you know I have yeah. notes already. All oh, Infinity War, Infinity War is, also a, yeah. is a better threequel. Yeah. Um, but um, let's hope so. Yeah. You know, I mean,
2: I. I- uh, yeah I hope so I seriously doubt either of them will assail Ragnarok for me which is one of my all time favourite MCU movies but I would love it if they did
0: I have high hopes for both of those movies we high shall see hopes. how it goes high hopes alright here's one from Maine, Angus your predictions for the Oscars not this year's Oscars but the 2024 Oscars oh god Angus Maine, are we
2: not reviewing him later on
0: <laughs> oh I see that's very good <laughs> <laughs>
1: That will make sense later. It will make sense later um, on. Or not, as the case may be. Or not. Sorry, unlike, the unlike the film. It'll so make sense. 2024 Oscars. Uh, let's see. Um, who has things that are coming Here's out? Here's my prediction.
0: Chris Rock will slap Will Smith.
1: <gasps> That's bold, well, but will I like it.
0: Will Smith won't be allowed to be there. So. Yeah. Here's my pitch. Yeah. The Purge, Oscar night. <laughs> We give Chris Rock a crossbow, yeah, <laughs> and let <laughs> Will Smith loosen the Kodak. The and he has one night to hunt him
1: down. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure I'm super behind this. If I'm totally honest with you,
0: and whoever is left wins Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, it's another only Best
1: Supporting. I mean, <laughs> yeah. come on! If yeah. you're going to kill somebody, you want to at least win is, Best Actor. Yeah,
0: but this, you say this, but this is where Frank Grillo wins Best Supporting Actor, and I'm all for it. Oscar night meets the menu. Okay. I'm here for this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We get Scott Adkins. Scott Adkins huh. is best actor.
1: <laughs> you know, this could finally be the way to have a best stunt category take over. I mean, really.
0: That's mine. That's mine. The Purge Oscar night is, is my prediction okay. for twenty twenty four.
1: My prediction is simply Barbie. <laughs>
0: Fair. <laughs> ah, dearie me. Dearie me. Felicity Kate says, if you could live on one ship from a movie, what would it be?
1: Oh, boy. Um, they all
0: look terrible. Uh, I look mean, they, they generally all
1: have bad, weevils. bad experiences. I mean, definitely not the Triangle of Sadness ship. Definitely the, not the Titanic.
2: The one from Passengers had a very nice swimming
0: pool.
1: Definitely not passenger. It, so, it was yeah.
0: Titanic Among the stars.
1: Definitely not fucking. The
0: passengers. answer to this is obviously the Enterprise D. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I, I'm I'm saying ship is ship and not spaceship. Oh no, no. If Felicity I'm, Kate uh, had no. meant spaceship, she, she would have, have said. I, said it. I believe spaceship. it was implied.
1: She's a very smart woman. She yes. would have implied
2: no, I believe. She, she, I, she, I believe spaceship. it was implied.
1: No, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, it was
2: heavily s- uh, not implied. Okay.
1: Sea going vessel. Seagoing vessel. Yes. Is what we're talking fill about. Filled with seamen. Gosh, I mean that really puts a different spin on things. I've been watching a lot of our flag means death the last week, so right. you know, I have to I have to think seriously about the Which revenge. Which reviewed on
2: Pilot Plus last week. Oh, oh for God's sake. Um
1: <laughs> But uh but the revenge, like it has an onboard library it for God's sake. Like, Impractical though,
2: shit. in you know, but
1: choppy that weather. Is, that is TV and not movies, so fair enough. Um so Black Pearl? No, it's cursed in it. Red October? It's a bit cramped. Low ceilings. Not a lot of, yeah, not a lot of living space. There's a lot to be said for the yacht at the end of Romancing the Stone slash the beginning <gasps> of uh, Jewel of the Nile.
0: The dead camp boat.
1: <laughs> Absolutely not. Too great a danger of being killed okay. by Billy Zane. Do you know, and or sunk. Uh,
0: uh, and or sunk? I thought it was great. <laughs> hey. Hey. Uh, I... Really, have a soft spot for the orca, but I don't know if I could live on the orca.
1: I think. What think, think not.
0: Not no. as, as it is at the beginning of Jaws. We're going to need a big boat. End. Yeah. But it's big enough for one man to live on for a couple of days, certainly.
1: Oh, like, yeah, he can live there for a, a good while, yeah. obviously. But, but one person, like, y- you have a family now, you would not be able to get Little Drinking Game onto that boat comfortably.
2: Oh. The barrels keep her afloat. Okay, no. I'm, I'm going to live on Kenneth Branner's boat from
0: Tenet. That's a good boat. I
1: mean, it's a good boat owned by bad people, though. Do you know I what I mean? Like super no yachts, bad people. And James
0: would be a worse person yeah. taking it to Okay, <laughs> well, you know, you, you keep make it in the a family. Case. All right, okay. Uh, very, very good. good. Well done. Well done, everybody. Um, what is the cutoff point for watching festive films after Christmas, asks UK Samuel Thomas. Mm. New Year's Day. Uh, yeah,
1: no, actually, it's Epiphany. Obviously, January 6th.
0: No, I've had the um, Epiphany.
1: <laughs> oh, that's exciting. But... Um, but I think you—you you, know—it is allowable to wean yourself off gradually. If if they're still coming up in the Netflix algorithm for another couple of you know weeks, it's, See,
2: it's and I know we've discussed this possibly every single New Year since this podcast I think started. We have, yeah. But I have a an almost fanatical need to take all Christmas decorations down on New Year's Day because I find Christmas decorations Christmas films Christmas music Christmas anything in January monumentally upsetting so I, can't, I keep I them up to the
1: sixth just to ease myself into January because January mm-hmm. is bleak enough already without putting all my fairy lights away I still kept some fairy lights up just for you know my own peace of mind
0: yeah we had to tell little drinker game because we 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 had a company come and take the tree away so it didn't drop pines and stuff, and she Chris was very it. she was very upset to see the tree going away. So we told her that they were taking it to a special field where they were going to plant that tree. Todd Field. At Todd Field. Thanks, James. You've, you really brought your A game. Uh, we- <laughs> <laughs> is this James Dyer minus? Is this, yeah, is this what it is? Yeah, this is what you're paying to avoid. <laughs> yeah, you pay me one ninety nine to appear in this podcast and just generally fuck it up. Uh, and for an extra fee, you can pay for me to just go, oh, for God's sake, every time James speaks. Um, Yes, and we told her that they take the tree away and they plant it in the field and they make it all nice again and then next year we'll get the same tree back again.
2: Did she point out there are no roots, so you can't really plant it?
0: No, she's four years old. Also what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's fine, it's going to be on the farm upstate with Bucky.
0: Yes, but not Jeremy Renner, who is recovering Thank goodness. Very nicely from his um, interface with a snowplough. Yeah. Yeah. So well done, Jeremy Renner. Yeah, absolutely. On, get well on soon. surviving that. And get well, because uh, we, we know he listens. Uh,
1: we, we hope he listens.
0: He has time in his hands. He does. He can, you yeah. know, he can he can use it wisely, by listening to the Empire podcast or subscribing to Pilot TV Plus. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, all right. Two last questions. Okay. Will Yakface04 asks, if you could do a live podcast in any city but London, which would it be and why? Well, obviously we've done Live podcasts yeah. now in Edinburgh, a couple of times, Glasgow, yeah, couple of times, um, you know, okay. just once. Oh no, yeah, Dublin, 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 Belfast, Belfast, Belfast York, Belfast, York, Belfast, York Belfast, Liverpool, 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 Liverpool uh,
1: Brighton,
0: and Brighton. Uh, so we've done that, um, and we are absolutely up for another tour, and we would have done one. For sure, but for the pandemic mm. uh, by now. Uh but as things stand, we, we're we're not we're we're happy to go but listen, if anyone wants to have us, if anyone wants to reach out and <laughs> have us, um you know we've we've, we've Palm done
1: Springs Film Festival. Palm sure. Springs Film have Festival,
0: yeah. Super good the Bali Film Festival, mm. the Maldives Film Festival. If it doesn't exist, <laughs> I am willing to start it and launch it with the Empire Podcast. Uh, I think a three week podcast <laughs> sounds good to me. Uh you know, if anyone wants to invite us to to guest at their film festival, then please to uh, slide into my DMs or, you know, just email me. But, uh, yeah, where would you like to go? That's not, that's realistic. Because people do, Some people sometimes people do ask, you know, are you going to do one in America? Are you going to do one, would you do one in Australia? And I'd love to do one in New York or LA, but mm-hmm. I also think we would, like, get literally 10 people and a dog. But
1: well, I think uh, that's true of uh, you yeah. know, a lot of places. I had a very pleasant uh, chat yesterday with a guy from Estonia who listens to the podcast. Hello to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so, you know, anywhere that will have us, I think, is probably Norway. the right answer. But if we could go anywhere, I just. I New wanna, Zealand. I want to go practically everywhere. I have Finland, been Finland,
0: Finland, 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 Finland. Finland, Finland, Finland. We know, we, know we have listeners to. all over the world. And uh, and if you're willing to put us up, then we will too. We should go to Greenland with Jerry Butler. We should go to Greenland. We should do the next Greenland special
1: in Greenland. In Greenland.
0: Yeah. That would be amazing. Uh, All right, here's the last question. It comes from Harriet Ormston. Any film or TV-related New Year's resolutions you've made this year or have had in the past? Let's focus on this year. Have you you focused on anything? Have you made a resolution?
1: I'm going to try and be a little bit pickier with the TV I watch because I feel like my book reading has really dropped off this year. Well,
0: Helen, if you're looking for recommendations for TV, (laughs) can I suggest subscribing to Pilot TV Plus? For just one pound ninety-nine a day a day, is it a month? Yeah, a month. A month. But if you want to give us one ninety-nine a day, that's fine too. <laughs>
1: um yeah, no, I'm just I'm just gonna try and watch a little bit less yeah. generally. I'll watch the shows that I, you know, I love and so like Foundation season two is back this year. Yeah. Um the trailer's like
0: great.
1: That. Um, Wheel of Time, I think is still gonna be next year, is it? Or late this year? Maybe sure. late this year. So, so I've got that coming up. I think we're in a House of the Dragon free year, we're in a Lord of the Rings free year. I've already watched The Last of Us, so I've got that either way. But I'm, you know, what I mean, I'm trying, I'm going to try and be a little bit mm. more intentional about what I watch and um, maybe not re watch quite so many things and just try and get back to my reading properly. Because I've got my, my to read pile is just catastrophic.
2: At the yeah. Moment. Jimbo, what about you? Yes, I too am planning to cut down on the amount of films that
0: I watch. So, uh, <laughs> so I feel like it's, it's been really eating
2: into from my reading time as well. From, so.
0: <laughs> from four a year <laughs> down to a much more manageable um, two.
2: Yeah, no, I have no, I have no specific resolution. My, it's it Maybe to be slightly more organised with my watching, because I like, I have my I, my calendar for watching stuff is a bit sort of tardis like in that there's just there's too much stuff and not enough actual temporal real estate to fit it mm-hmm. into. So it's it's maybe trying to to not do this thing where I'm like, so it's Tuesday, there are multiple podcasts to record, and I have checked calendar, 157 hours of entertainment to watch. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try and get stuff earlier so, yeah. so Helen and I had a lovely lunchtime screening yesterday or something did, yes. which isn't out until next month so I'm ahead of the curve with that one
0: wow that's yeah. good you've seen one film that's right, for February. Seen one film. film for February fantastic and that's it. a big
2: <laughs> check
4: mark
0: there uh, February wait, is done can't wait to hear man talking about whatever that film is <laughs> I'm not going to say <laughs> yes. the name of it but uh, yeah I, I don't make resolutions because I, in the in the rare occasions when I have in the past I, I just never fulfil them I never I never go through with it but this year I would like to see Yes, more films, even though I see a lot of films in service of my, of my job. I'd like to see more things I haven't seen before. I'd like mm. to see more first-time stuff, if possible. But it's very, very hard for me at the moment to uh, to watch as many films and TV shows as I used to because of the change of my circumstances. And I would like to do more creative stuff outside Empire. Yeah. but it, Again.
1: Again.
0: Yeah. This is a... 24 7 up a dawn pride swallowing seeds <laughs> that I will never fully tell you about. And it's very hard to do to get the time. But I read so many, you know, uh, authors and screenwriters and people like that who say, you get up, you know, Brian Koppelman, get up, do your morning pages. Um, see Robert Cargill, who wrote um, The Black Phone mm. and Sinister and Doctor Strange. And he's like, novels as he's well. like, there are 200 days between now and the end, or 150 days between now and the middle of the year. Or whatever it is, uh, <laughs> if you write a page a day, by the end of that time, you will have a manuscript for a book, if that's what you want to write. I've got a couple of, I do have a couple of ideas for kids' books. As one of the things that Living With Little Drinking Game has, has given me. Uh, basically just take whatever batshit insane nonsense she says and think, well, that'd be a good book. Uh, and, you know, there's you know screenplays rattling around up here as well, and I'd like to do one these days. And, and other podcasts, uh, you know, that aren't necessarily film related either. So, yeah, anyway. None of that's going to fucking happen. So let's move on. Uh, <laughs> Should we have a guest? We got loads of guests. Let's do it on yeah. this one. Uh, Noah Bonbak is the director no. of White. No, okay. Uh, who do you want? Do you want Todd Field? Do you want uh, Jason Blum? Uh, you know what? I'm going to give you Todd Field or Sam Mendes. Let's start with <laughs> Sam Mendes. Lee said, "Soonest Mendes," and that's what Helen has wanted. And here he is. Uh, this is Sam Mendes, who is back, back, back after the triumph of 1917 with Empire. Empire, I can't even say the name of my own magazine. Empire of Light. Empire went full <laughs> Frank here. That's a cracker. What does Frank Carson say when he's on board the Black Pearl? That's a kraken. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Sam Mendes. He is a director of Empire of Light, which is a a emotionally searing drama, which is very which is semi autobiographical, uh, and it tells the tale of Olivia Coleman and Michael Ward who play employees at a cinema in Margate back at the the beginning of the 80s uh, she is an older white manager he is a younger black employee he was just started at the at the cinema and they strike up a very interesting relationship and there's all sorts of stuff going on here uh, a lot of Mendes's own personal life was uh, mind for this movie, as you will hear in this conversation that I had with him just before Christmas, something November, maybe something like that. And uh, I always have a great time talking to Sam Mendes, who of course is former guest editor of Empire. Clearly that experience stuck in his mind when he was rooting around for a title for the movie. Of course, we talk about that as well. So here we go. Sam Mendes, do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast, or should I say Empire of Light podcast Uh, by the film's... Look at that beautiful segment. By the film's... Writer director Sam Mendes, how are you, sir?
5: Good. I'm glad you're giving me a podcast and a <laughs> career profile because I named my movie after your your esteemed organ. Well, this and is how it. much greater an acknowledgement could there be? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Named after us, set in the cinema, I was in Hog Heaven well, <laughs> watching you this movie. Get any better than that? Uh, but obviously that 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 is where the name came from. You were uh, when you were guest editor of Empire a few years ago. That set. The, uh, that was the
5: moment. That was it. It was nothing to do with my childhood or growing up with <laughs> mental illness or, or, or the cinemas I visited as a child. It was when I was the guest editor of Empire Magazine.
0: Well, it's on the record now, Sam. There you go. <laughs> that is it. Officially, that is it. But uh, uh, as you say last night, people will go into it, I think, expecting one type of movie. They'll be expecting a, a Cinema Paradiso-style wallow in the magic of the movies. and And they get that to an extent but it's also a darker movie than I think people would be expecting. And mm. it does examine mental health and it does examine race. And these are things that were particularly important to you growing up. Were, these were things that you that were on your mind. It was certainly with, with as you, you talked about, your, your mother.
5: Yeah. Well, really the root of it, as you say, was my childhood growing up with somebody who was struggling with mental health. Um, I'm an only child. I grew up alone with my mum and she um, – suffered very badly Mm -hmm. and and i think anyone who's been around mental health issues either friends themselves or family members um can talk to the cycle the strange cycle of mental health you know the um the crash the medication um the stabilization and then the low self-esteem and the coming off the medication, the manic episodes, the sort of immense highs and the immense lows and the cycle and the sort of putting your life back together again after it. And and I suppose I've been trying to find a way to address that all my life, really, and, and trying to find a way to express it in what I do. And 1917, which I suppose on the surface would seem to be, a a very different kind of movie actually was the beginning of me because it was based on my grandfather Mm. getting personal with my filmmaking. I co-wrote that. And this I felt is another stage closer to, um, really being about where I'm from, you know, um, the time that was pivotal to me and, um, the things that formed me. And as a parent, again, of a young child and, and, and several children of various ages, um I think it always brings back to you what you your experiences were as a young kid and so it felt like now was the moment to make this film and to go a little deeper. Um and yeah you say I think that the movie up to now has been slightly miss I would say mismarketed but it it like you say gives the impression that one is going to go and see a sort of wonderful romance about the magic yeah. of movies um but really it's about people who are broken um uh particularly one played by olivia coleman called hillary and she suffers from mental health and and about how if you are broken movies and music and to some degree art literature whatever you want to call it can help put you back together again which is something i do believe i I Mm -hmm. don't think it's the only answer but i think it gives us a way out of ourselves of the the prison of of um ourselves uh and I certainly felt that also as a kid, that my escape was uh, from the intensity and difficulty of my childhood was the movies, was to go to the movies. And in those days, of course, couldn't watch movies on television, really. And you did have to actually go out and go to these palaces, these strange, you know, um, womb-like, you know, warm um not always good smelling, but magical <laughs> places, you know, and uh, populated by these funny eccentric families, you know. And and, and I, I suppose I never would have guessed when I was a kid that I would be part of those families when I grew up, but that's what I gravitated towards. The surrogate families for me were families of actors in the theatre or mm. um, crews in making a movie. You know, you're always part of a very tight-knit unit and I suppose they replaced for me my, my missing
0: family. So, so in terms of that personal side of of the movie and, and beginning at this this personal expression with nineteen seventeen, mm. the, the two movies he made before that were obviously these great big huge behemoths of of of, of Bond films, and are, <laughs> I imagine just by their very nature, those are harder to impose the personal upon.
5: Yes, they are. I mean, actually, I found myself imposing quite a lot on Skyfall. Um, I remember thinking at the time, here I am coming back from 10 years away, back to London, back to England to make my first English movie, if you can believe that, um, to discover that everything is the same and yet totally changed. And if you look at the plot of Skyfall, Bond disappears and comes back to London to find that everything is the same and yet totally different totally changed there is no air really anymore there are new people popping up a new queue a new money penny and so that sense of somebody who feels themselves to be a bit getting a bit old a bit long in the tooth returning to the previous scenes of their crimes as it were and to see to and, and thinking arrogantly that things <laughs> would be the same and they would be exactly accorded the same authority that they once were yeah and they're not. That's really what's happening to Bond, and that was what was happening to me. So, so you know, it's funny. It's only in retrospect when you look back and you you, you study the movies and, and think about where you were in your life that you realise how much it reflects where you were without really you knowing that at the time. And another thing, of course, with Skyfall particularly was that it was 2012. It was the time of the Olympics. It was you know Bond jumping out of a you know helicopter and yeah. the Queen and another, mm-hmm. and um, a time of. I think in my lifetime, I think I've only really felt a kind of unadulterated national pride then. I I mean that year was a particularly good year to be British. Mm-hmm. And it felt that we were in the right place at the right time, you know. It now seems like a distant, hazy memory. <laughs> but that went into the film too, the sense of National pride, you know, Bond standing on the rooftops of Whitehall with the with the Union Jacks fluttering in the breeze, was not an image I would have put in the movie three years later. I would have felt, um, point, yeah, it would have felt nationalistic in the wrong way. It felt proud, mm-hmm. and 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 uh, and I was I was proud, and I felt that was a lovely accident of timing for me that 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 movie was made during that particular time. So yeah, you you would think, wouldn't you, that with a with a sort of Filmography, or whatever you call it, uh, uh, the movies that I've made being so different one from the other that they would not find a way of a sort of personal route. But I look back at all of them and they have very intensely personal roots, each one. You were
0: the last person I did a QA and a with before
5: the world changed. Yeah. As Quentin Tarantino said to me, the door hit you on the way out. He said. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, it was. I think it was the last Q&A you did for 1917. Um and uh, we did it up there the everyone the did yeah yeah, yeah yeah and uh, just a few weeks later the world changed and and that was that uh, and I kind of floundered around Sam doing my usual you know like a duck trying to you know stay just above the surface. You went and made a movie. So were were you thinking already of Empire of Light? No. at that point. No, I think you've conflated a couple of years there. <laughs>
5: To be honest, I I, Uh, I love the image you have of me immediately going off to make a movie. No, I had 18 months of not knowing where I was, who I was, (laughs) what was going to happen with the world, whether we were all going to die. I mean, I was in the same boat as everybody else, you know. Um, It was, for all of us, a period of very, it was a very strange period. But it was also a period where you were left alone with your family or you were only defined by your immediate environment Mm -hmm. and by your family, or those who are close to you. Nothing else. You were no longer defined by your job or by your, you know, whatever status you might accord yourself or the world might accord you. It was just you and, and, and your loved ones. And and there was obviously a period of self-examination and reflection. I spent a lot of time lobbying the government to make sure that the arts didn't die in this country. I spent a lot of time trying to help young film students, actually, and teaching them uh, on Zoom to keep them from going insane in their tiny little sets, Which must that. have helped you as well. It did. It gave me a little focus every week. You know, I did 12 weeks of masterclasses for the uh, NFTS. And and um, we also started a fund for theatre artists, you know, that uh, to, for freelance theatre artists. So there was a lot going on that was in response to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But it was only in the second year, it was only having lived through that whole year, which would have been 2020, mm-hmm. it was only in 21 that I thought I had this idea, this little acorn. And, um, and it was the first three months of 21 that I sat down to try and write it. And I got about halfway and I was feeling pretty good about it. And then I sort of hit a brick wall. I didn't know which direction to take it. Um, and I stalled. Um, and by that time I, like everyone else was, you know, watching everything available on streaming. And uh, I had watched the the more recent series of the crown in which Olivia Colman plays the queen. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I watched it. And I looked at her and I thought, oh, that's that's Hillary. That's obviously who should play Hillary in the movie. So I told my wife that, and Ali, my wife said, why don't you just, you know, knowing that I'd sort of hit a brick wall, said, why don't you call Olivia and just chat with her and just see if it stirs anything up? And I realized at that moment I I'd, I'd never met Olivia Coleman, and I ne- I had no idea how to get into contact with her, and she obviously had no idea I was writing a movie for her. I thought I better it's not a bad idea i better tell her you know she might go listen mate you know i'm i've just retired or i've, I've never liked your films or whatever you know chances are slim sam chances well i are thought I, I had a I had i had a fair chance but you know yeah. who knows? she might have said i've just signed up for game of thrones 2 and i'm not free for four years i mean who yeah, knows but, but, yeah, that's but yeah, right. yeah she was available she was interested unsurprisingly, but she didn't really know what I was talking about because I, I hadn't sent her a script. And, but that conversation did actually get me going again. It was something about her warmth and her ease. And it just, it just helped me. It just, we didn't talk about the film at all. We just gossiped for an hour and she was in her kitchen. And, um, and then I went off and finished the film. And so six months later I was sending it to Roger Deakins and Pippa Harris, my producer and, and Olivia who luckily said, I love this and and I'd love to do it. Um, and, uh, and, it and then it all sort of took off from there. But, it, it, you know, it, it's interesting because for me, the kind of why now aspect of it, uh, it felt very natural for me with small kids to suddenly be talking about um, my own childhood. Uh, and to, very natural with everything that's going on in the world, Black Lives Matter, you know, and everything around it the pandemic, chaos in the US at that time and 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 now in Russia, that you have this time in the early 80s in this particular story where someone's internal disruption, chaos, is mirrored by the disruption and chaos in the outside world. For me, the key image of the film was when Hillary and Stephen are trapped inside the lobby and the, the rioters are banging on the windows outside. Mm. To me, that's it. There's the outside, there's the political chaos. The moving of the tectonic plates in the outside world, mirroring the internal um, uh, chaos of, of one of our central character, you know, and and that's that's um, that felt like something that I could I could make work.
0: And and you talk about everything feeling like it, it it felt totally natural. One of the things, of course, you do here is that you wrote this yourself, and you co wrote nineteen seventeen, and I imagine you had authorial input into a number of screenplays over the years, but. This is the first time it says written by Sam mm-hmm. Mendes. What was that experience like and when did you know that this was the time? Was it
5: because the story was so personal? Yes, it was. It was it just felt like I I felt like I knew how to to tell the story. And by the way, anyone listening, it's, it's yes, it's an autobiographical film to degree, but I'm not in it as a character. There's no there's no, there's Sam no me. There's yet. no bloke called Sam, little boy called Sam. I mean, I was really struck as a Margaret Jefferson, Jefferson quote. She she says something like how do you reveal yourself without asking for love or pity and i didn't want a little boy there and everyone go, oh god poor little boy growing up like that it, was like, it feels like i was asking i'm asking people to like me you know um uh please like me look what my how difficult my childhood was and i felt that was there was sort of some sort of <laughs> a strong element of horseshit involved in that so i i but of course i am in the movie i am the camera you know i made the film i i'm i'm in it all through it but I'm not putting myself on screen as a character, so I think that's really that was a really interesting thing. But it felt to me like I know how to write this, and uh, but then afterwards I felt having written it very vulnerable because you're sending it out to people, and you know it really is very revealing of oneself. A and B, I've got no writer to either bitch with, moan to, or blame <laughs> when things aren't working. You know, <laughs> when I when I felt like calling the writer. I just had to go back to my hotel
0: room, and give myself a good talking to. Yeah, you know? <laughs> you know, we, we talked at the beginning about how it's it's not the film I think people expect, but films do play an important part in. in oh the movie. Yes. and there's this lovely charting of the year yeah. and the seasons as you go along, and the the, the names change and the marquee. Uh, I don't want to get too heavily into the final film, and you know, because there's obviously the, you know that's something we can maybe talk about at, at a later point, but the. Films must have been a deliberate choice. I imagine you wrote mm. those films in the screenplay. Things like 9 absolutely. to 5, which is about a absolutely you know, a domineering, sexist boss, Yeah, for example. <laughs> yes, well spotted.
5: Um, yes, absolutely. Well, I was very concerned. I wanted the cinema to be one of the cinemas I remember from my childhood, which is a big independent cinema. So not a chain cinema, not a circle. What Ellis, played by Colin Firth, disparagingly refers to as a circuit cinema. In other words, the audience <laughs> of the world. But a, a one-off, in, you know, big cinema, playing commercial films and the sort of films that were playing alongside commercial films in those days. So yes, you get 9 to 5 and you get stir-crazy and you get Rage of the Lost Ark but you also get raging bull and gregory's girl and being there and the last metro and all sorts of other movies and the elephant man trailer or you can hear them through the lobby and of course it seeped marinated in the movies and music of the time these are the music the the, the pieces of music and the movies that that influenced me made me want to be a filmmaker made me want maybe fall in love with, with with music for the first time i think those movies and music you fall in love with between the ages of about 15 and about 20, whatever age you are, they have a different kind of significance. They, they sort of, when you're first really soaking up um, what, what those things can mean. Um, so I think that, you know, I was trying to find that again, myself here and there was a delight in 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 changing the names of the and deciding what you know movies play on the marquee. I did have to adhere a little bit to the release schedule of nineteen eighty one. I may maybe played fast and loose with a couple of titles. Um and it was also finding the right movie for the premiere, for example, that very particular time of Chariots of Fire, which, you know, was one of many new dawns in the British film industry, <laughs> you know, famously. The British are coming. The, the British, British are coming. coming the, <laughs> at the, at the, well, you know, it did win Best Picture, but, yep. you know, it, it was not necessarily, I will not say it's a false dawn, but it wasn't really what well, I think people hoped it might be. But it was very English and, and you know, has it dated as well as some of the other movies? Perhaps not. Um but it, it, it speaks to me of that time and that particular kind of, I don't know, the mixture of Englishness and vangelis soundtrack.
0: It feels very 80s to me. Absolutely. Sam Mendes, always a pleasure. Thank you uh, so much for your time. was great fun. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so that was Sam Mendes. We'll be talking about Empire of Light. Empire of Light later on in the show. But now it's time to talk about the movie news. Hollywood shut down over the Christmas holidays, but is only now just getting up to speed what is there to talk about? Should we talk about yeah, this Jeremy Renner thing? Blew my mind when you when you hear more about what happened. It's incredible that he survived. Uh, we still don't know what the long term prognosis is for him, but he's certainly been very uh, active and posting on Instagram and you know not shying away from the from the fact that he had, as far as we understand, a snowplow run him over. So, so what actually happened? So this seems to be that he was helping a relative. So he has a snowplow and he lives out in Nevada and it was hit very, very hard by snow and he has his own snowplow. And a relative of his, this is apparently what happened, a relative of his or a friend of his was using Jeremy Renner's car, got got stuck in the snow. He went and got his snowplow and towed him out because apparently he does this for, for neighbors and people in the community. He's very good with that. Then he got out to talk to his relative and the snowplow, he put the snowplow into park and the snowplow apparently has lots of um, fail-safes. That means it can't start moving on its own, but for some reason it started moving on its own. He went, He realised it was moving on its own. He went to get into it and then we don't know exactly what happened at this point. The eyewitness said, I saw Jeremy Renner going towards the snowplow and then the snowplow just kept on going and there was no Jeremy Renner to be seen. Jeez. So possibly he slipped and then the snowplough appears to have run over him and he's you know he's his legs were badly injured and according to some reports i've read he had major chest injuries as mm. well uh and so he's in hospital now you know we don't know the full extent of the injuries but he does seem to be on the mend and certainly taking it on the chin you know he's been very very open about this on social media but it is i wonder if maybe the fact that there was loads of snow around meant that somehow that the the, the full weight of the snowplow mm-hmm. which quite frankly weighs well over a ton didn't completely crush him because yeah. he's very, very, very lucky. We know there's a long fight ahead. We don't know what you know what injuries he sustained and how that's going to impact his life going forward. But uh, he was promoting his new TV show, <laughs> season two of Mayor of Kingstown, on, on Instagram the other day. So hopefully he's going to be okay in the yeah. long run.
1: Fingers crossed, absolutely. It sounds like a, just a horrific accident. And, and, you know, yeah, it's good to see him, you know, smiling on Instagram. I think he's been... Very much making an effort to show that he's out there and okay, you know, because of all the outpouring of uh, support and love for him from everybody over the last few weeks. So yeah, yeah fingers crossed for a full recovery as soon as possible.
0: Absolutely. Uh, but has anything happened in terms of movie news? I mean, there was a new Ant Man the Wasp Quantum Mania trailer. There was. Yeah. People have been asking Helen, will we do a you know trailer breakdown for this, mm. and we just haven't had the time to do so. It doesn't mean we won't at some point. Mm. But also, I looked at this trailer and I thought. I'm not so sure there's so much there for us to get our teeth into because it's it's shedding a bit more light in Quantumania, but also it's, I think, withholding quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's given us a little bit more Kang. Um, so it's a little bit more, you know, of what he's after and what he's thinking, a little bit more of what he's after, what he's thinking, what he wants Scott to do, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of interesting. And uh, it's it. It feels like it has a little bit more plot in it, but with Marvel, you never know how much plot you're actually getting. And, and how he's much not to be trusted, like Mister. He's Ed.
2: backing out on a oh, deal. Sure,
1: of course, yeah.
2: Say what you like about Thanos, but he was a man of his word. Oh
1: boy, <laughs> yeah. Thanos was stupid and wrong. Anyway, <laughs> You said to say what I like.
0: James mentioning Thanos arrives.
1: <laughs> yeah, and um, once again, it's a trailer where uh, it suggests that the wasp of the title is actually um Pfeiffer. <laughs> very very Pfeiffer? small
0: letters. Yes, yeah. Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Rather
1: than um, yeah. than uh, hope uh, in this case, so uh, Evangeline Lilly again doesn't get a single word. I don't think in the trailer. Uh, it suggests, you know, that the, the real relationship that matters here is going to be Scott and Cassie Lang. Mm. It's going to be that. That's going to be the kind of emotional fulcrum for the film. And that's that's interesting. That's good potentially. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, it does. This feels a little bit like this is it for Ant Man actually, from this trailer in a way that I haven't had before from this. So I'm, does, I'm a bit worried it? for him now, if I'm mm. honest.
0: It would be interesting, wouldn't it, if Phase 5 was them cleaning house <laughs> in a weird way? Because we, we assume all these people are going to be in Tang Dynasty and Secret Wars in 2025 and 2026. Yeah. But what if they're not? Like, What if every single Phase 5 movie ends with the title character dying in some horrible way. That's what Ant-Man <laughs> dies in this, you know, Peter Quill dies in Guardians. We know a few of the Guardians aren't going to make it out. We, we don't know whether that's, you know, because they're dead or whether they just walk away from the Guardians. Mm. But we know that a few of them won't make it out of Guardians Volume 3. What if, you know, Captain Marvel doesn't make it out of the Marvels, you know, and then suddenly you have your most powerful Avenger not on the board whenever Kang shows up to wreak havoc in in Kang Dynasty. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they, they will survive, but... I think this is very much going to be the final Ant-Man movie. Yeah. Mm. We yeah, shall see. It feels that
1: way. It, it does feel that way. Having said that, you know, this is pure speculation. This is not um based on uh any anything. This is just the way it tr- feels from that trailer. But but I'm intrigued to see it and I think, you know, um uh Jonathan Majors looks amazing as Kang, mm. you have know, got a real now, sense of him now.
2: Comic there's a real comic fidelity that the way they have the blue light on his face and he has the kind of outfit and stuff. It's a nice interpretation of the comic look, yeah. Which actually I thought would have been absurd to use in the films, but they've done it again and they've actually made it work. So
0: yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think I can say now if this goes out after 5pm on Friday that uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is going to be the next cover film on the cover of Empire Magazine mm, it is. and I spoke to everybody involved with that movie pretty much for the cover feature and uh, I learned a great many things uh, which I was delighted to see were not in the trailer so for once <laughs> we're ahead of the curve on this one so there's there's some uh, really really interesting tidbits about about that about Kang about what he wants about how terrifying he's going to be going forward Forward and um, and you'll be delighted that Evangeline Lilly does speak in that feature.
1: Oh, well, that's good. there we go. We haven't haven't got that in the trailer, Mm -hmm. so that's encouraging.
0: Yeah, I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do we, as a group, care about the Golden Globes? No, and this is I I really bumped up against this the other day. Listen, I'm happy for everybody who won a Golden Globe the other night because somehow they're still seen as a big deal, and you know you're happy for for when good people win, right? So when Kiki Kwan. One best supporting actor, and he does this incredible speech, and Spielberg. Spiel, Spiel, yeah, yeah, Spielberg's in the room; and there's not a dry eye in the house. That's yeah. that's fantastic. When Guillermo wins best animated feature for Pinocchio, That's fantastic, great. Yeah.
1: Colin Farrell. Colin beautiful, Farrell, yeah. self-deprecating speech for uh Banshees of Ina delighted by that as well. Don't even test me. Um, I, yeah. I, I generally speaking, especially by the standards of the Globes, which are a Batshit insane organization. Yep. This was not a bad lineup of winners. I think there were some batshit um, decisions in some of the TV categories. If I'm perfectly honest, um, <laughs> oh, I mean, I loved soul. I loved House of the Dragon, but be serious. Mm. Um, I, you know, it, the the movie the movie awards. I think you can stand over this year. I'm yep. pretty I'm pretty happy with all of them. It but, is still, uh, you know, not. I don't understand why the SAGs or or some other award show didn't kind of try and leap up and fill that
0: space. If I'm honest, I think the SAGs don't really penetrate because they're called the SAGs and nobody wants to win something (laughs) called the SAG. It just, it has negative connotations just in the acronym alone. But the Golden Globes, I mean, I genuinely thought that we had, we had all decided. We all got together. There was a big meeting. Everyone on Twitter was there and we were like, this is bullshit and it's... You know the HFPA are a bunch of idiots, and we shouldn't we shouldn't get behind this thing anymore. And then I opened Twitter the other day, and everyone was going nuts for the golden Globes yeah. as if as if the last two years hadn't happened. And I was like, okay, <laughs> what's going on? So I guess they're a thing again. Well done to all the winners. Indeed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's about it.
0: Yeah, that's about it. That's about it. Um, anything else? Anything else? Yeah. Happen? There's, a, casting few, there's news? a few
1: bits of bits and pieces. Uh, Michael Giacchino is making his feature debut. So of course he already did uh, uh, Werewolf by Night, but he is going to be rebooting or remaking. They're calling it a reboot, but come on, it's got to be a rebate remake. A rebate of them, the giant ant movie from 1954. Yes. Um, which had giant ants ending up... Uh, were they attacking Los Angeles? It was Los Angeles I think they end up in. Um, but anyway, I, I saw it late at night on TV once as a kid and was like, oh, this is cool. Giant ants, oh God, scary. Um, so I think this could be quite fun. He clearly loves his classic horror. Yeah. So I'm quite happy There was a for video this.
2: game inspired by that in the, I want to say 80s on the, I think I had it on the Amiga or the SD. Or yes, something I like had that. it too. It came from the desert. Mm-hmm. Mm, which is very much. The <laughs> I same thing. really liked it, but I didn't know how to play it. It was difficult. You had to shoot the antenna off the ant to defeat it. Did oh. you? Yeah, with your little gun, you had to shoot its antenna off, and then then it would it would go away. And then you'd be on missions where you'd be flying a plane. You had to bomb the ant nests.
1: Wow. That's right. Yes, and it, okay. and it was oh. all
2: kind of conspiracy lane because you had to talk to all the locals, and no one That's was right. Trying to investigate the arrival of these giant ants.
1: The only slightly worrying thing about this is he's signed up to direct it and everything, but he doesn't seem to have a script yet. He's apparently on the hunt for a scriptwriter. So. You know, I would like there to be a bit more movement before we get super excited. But you know, Michael Chikineo directing a feature, I think, is is good news. Um, so that's good. As speaking of deserts, Tim Blake Nelson has joined June Part Two. Now, oh, given it good segue, given it already finished shooting, I'm not quite clear. Are we getting this news late, or is he just a voice, or is he like an additional little face on a screen? I refuse somewhere? to
2: believe for one second there are there are sort of massive reshoots happening. So it's all fine. <laughs>
1: Oh, no, I'm not saying... Look, again, reshoots these days, not yep,
2: yep. a bad not sign. Not a bad thing. A lot
1: of films build in a reshoot window. But um, anyway, yeah, Tim Blake Nelson now yeah. is doing something. Well,
2: presumably the space bagpipes will be back and he'll just be there singing Man of Constant Sorrow along to the space bagpipes.
1: <laughs> so that's uh, that's what I'm expecting. I would be up for that. that yeah. That's a fucking great tune still. Um, also, in sandy news, albeit not deserty news particularly... Okay. Or- the Gladiator sequel.
0: Okay, yeah. gotcha. I got there. Yeah.
1: Kinda. Mm. Uh, so Ridley Scott obviously directing a sequel to Gladiator, which is still a, a phrase I have trouble saying. Uh, and Paul Mescal is set to star. Um, he apparently beats co- um, com- stiff competition, presumably from the did he likes beat off, of uh, yeah, be- American men. Yeah, yeah, he beat did.
0: off a lot of American men to get oh, the role. Boy. Yeah, he.
1: Uh, but in, including the likes of Austin Butler and uh, Timmy Two Meats. Apparently, he
0: beat off Austin Butler and Timmy Two Meats again. Yes. No disrespect to Timmy
2: Two Meats, but. I'm. I'm saying he wouldn't last five minutes in the Colosseum. No, his
0: his arms would be snapped like a twig.
1: Okay, but I don't think he's necessarily playing a gladiator.
0: <laughs> but it's in the title, Helen. Uh, uh, you do uh, eventually plan to have uh, uh, gladiators in your uh, 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 gladiator movie? But there
1: can be gladiators without the main character, who is of course the growing up Lucius, son oh, of who, Lucilla. Oh,
0: oh, I thought he was playing Wolf. He was always my favourite gladiator. (laughs) Wow. Who was your favourite gladiator? Jet, obviously. Well, no, yes, (laughs) take it, yes. We're red-blooded men. Of course Jet was my favourite gladiator,
2: but... I never watched gladiators. I only know Jet and Wolf because they crossed over. I couldn't name another one. There's probably one called Spartan. Was there one called Spartan? There probably was. Almost certainly. Sword. Maga. Maga. Yeah, no. <laughs> <indeed>. <laughs> Magnum, possibly. Um, do you know what? Ridley Scott has been talking about the sequel to Gladiator for literally two decades. I had this conversation with him in 2001. It's like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, just put the finishing touches on it. Mate, 21 years. I know, but he's years.
1: casting now. It's actually happening. You know, this is a year when things that didn't seem like they were ever going to happen are happening. You talked about Megalopolis in the introduction. He's been talking about that for at least 20 years, probably more like 40. Uh, so...
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. this
1: the gladiator, having been 20 years in yes. the making, gladiator 2, boogaloo.
0: Yeah, but uh, this is. Makes uh, sense. Makes yeah, sense. so this is son of Crow, son of Crow. Well, so, a baby bird.
1: No, this is son of Lucilla, Connie yeah. Nielsen's
0: character. But apparently, a son of Maximus, too.
1: What? I don't know how. how
0: I don't know. I read that in the. They
1: were just meeting for the first in time in many fairness, years.
0: Fairness, I read that in a tweet <laughs> that someone might have just tweeted.
1: Wow, I read a You're tweet a Tony about a New Yorker Cillette article I am. Right I now. Am. <laughs> I have based
0: this on absolutely nothing except a half remembered tweet but I you know yeah you know, there's you'd think there would be a link to Maximus but Paul mescal this is really good for Paul yes, Mescal who claimed in the interview we did with him last year for after Sun he listens to this podcast. So Paul, I need this substantiated. If you do indeed listen to this podcast, blink three times
2: and then follow us all on Twitter.
0: Yeah, or in the street, or in the, <laughs> or street. In the street, it's fine. Yeah, so oh yeah, so well done to Paul Mescal. Uh, do you think do you, do you think this is good casting? I mean, he has previously played, um, well, I don't know, normal people. Yes, <laughs> so could and he play? after sun,
1: if people haven't seen after sun, get after it. Yeah. Uh, it's get after fantastic. it. Get
0: after after sun. Don't get out of it. Get into it. Get into it. Get wet um, and watch after sun.
1: He is fantastic. He also has a sort of a Roman profile. No, I cannot explain this.
2: <laughs> I know he has—he has the kind of face that would look excellent, hewn from marble. Yes, he'd look great on
0: a coin. Exactly, also true. he would. Uh, he's Irish.
1: You know, yes. so he just keeps getting better. We're familiar. It does, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, no, I—I I think father, it's, uh... of <laughs> father of a
0: murdered wife. Father of a murdered wife. I know the Romans had you know
2: problematic family relations, but that's maybe taking it a bit far. He's Irish. <laughs>
6: Hey, what
0: the fuck? Husband Husband of a murdered sister.
2: (laughs) Oh God, this has gone horribly wrong. These are not normal
0: people.
1: (laughs) Oh boy.
0: Oh, I genuinely have missed this. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, well yeah. done to everybody involved.
1: I feel like we talked about Evil Dead and Renfield last we didn't week.
0: Talk about the, we didn't talk about the trailer because remember yeah. the trailers yeah. we Renfield talked on the off. on the preview podcast we were, we were trailer free. Yeah. We were waiting so the for the trailers. For, trailers yes, okay. Renfield. Had Evil Dead Rise dropped by that point? I think it had. I think it has. So Evil Dead Rise, the trailer for Evil Dead Rise is out, Lee Cronin's, uh, Bruce Campbell free, although Bruce Campbell is producing and Sam Raimi free, although Sam Raimi is producing latest Evil Dead movie set in a tower block, a bit like Demons 2. Um, And this one looks great, looks Mm. gnarly and scary but also with a very very dark and mordant sense of humour. I'm fully on board for it as you might expect. That's the first time I've said I'm fully on board for something this year. Helen, have you said have you pented the word super to the beginning of any words yet? That's one of your little tics. Is it? It is. It's ah. super good or that's super great or I'm super, super awesome. good. Ah. Yeah, have wow. you done that yet?
1: super predictable of me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: when we do the bingo card at the live show, that's right. definitely going to be one for you. Okay. Uh, me saying I'm fully on board with that or that's very exciting, it's going to be one of me. Um James, what's what's one of your tics? Being a twat. I mentioning there you go. Thanos. <laughs> yes, there you go. The bingo card, we've we've all done a line. Not in that sense. <laughs> we'll do a line on although the sometimes box. I understand listening to the show makes us sound like we have but <laughs> I promise you winners don't do drugs um, nor do we evil dead <laughs> yes no, fucking losers <laughs> don't do them either but evil dead rise looks great Renfield looks good
1: Renfield looks does super does look good fun.
0: yeah yeah looks funny uh, look uh, did you see the R rated trailer which actually played ahead of Megan the other night at the screening of Megan what was different about her? Uh there's a lot more blood so there's a moment where he, uh, you know, a priest explodes, and then the the first trader, the the, uh, the domestic trader, you don't see the priest exploding, but you do in the international trader or the R rated trader. And also, you see Renfield, who is played by Nicholas Holt, and he, of course, is uh, Dracula's Dracula ward, um, the if end. you will. He's his enabler, uh, he's, this guy, he's his guy, he's his Batman, his butler, literal Batman, and he goes out and gets Dracula played by Nicolas Cage he gets him all the all the necks that he can chomp upon and he's a bit fed up with it so he wants to he wants to remove himself from this toxic relationship and he gets involved with Aquafina's cop and it looks great is there any point where Dracula turns to him and goes Renfield shush I don't
2: get it I don't get it either that was an excellent Danger Mouse joke oh you're dreadful people Uh oh Oh, Penfold. Penfold. It, oh, it doesn't, matter. It doesn't it matter. I mean, they, they don't
0: even sound alike.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, so when I say it was an excellent Danger Mouse joke, it was just a Danger Mouse joke. Okay.
0: Cool, chief.
2: To which you should have just gone, bad si, on si, barone.
0: Danger Mouse. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I feel like we may be getting a scooch
0: it's off possible. track. It's possible.
3: We
1: may
0: be getting off track. <laughs> That's a tethered you give good. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, you,
3: it is a
0: tethered. I am tethered. I'm tethered to you both. That's oh what god help that me. Was. Uh any more for movie newses. Any more movie news? Well, William
1: H. Macy has joined the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Yes. So that's happened. Well done him. Well done him. We yeah. don't know anything about who he's playing or indeed who anyone else is playing
0: mm-hmm. in that film. Or when it's said, or where well, it's said, or, or how it's said. It. Yeah. Hmm. We're Where's pretty
1: ball? we're pretty sure there will be apes.
0: yes Uh, 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 you do eventually (laughs) plan to have some I hope they're Irish Uh, that'd be amazing Irish apes anyway um, shall we have another guest let's do it Uh, let's have let's have Jason Blum and James Wan
1: let's do it
0: because that's a lovely way to segue into talking about Megan there can be only one Uh, thank you James and um, (laughs) really this is honestly symptomatic of the content (laughs) we're going to get Uh, do I get a freebie by the way for that steady <laughs> that's two ninety nine a month, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I don't come cheap. That's literally. Plus, oh no. plus, plus, plus. <laughs> 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 Turn the pluses uh, on their sides and you're all good. Yes, indeed. Logan yes, style. indeed. Um, <laughs> James Wan and Jason Blum are the producers of this week's Megan, which is about a killer doll, a super toy that is created and maybe runs amok a little bit. I don't want to give away any spoilers for Megan, but there's a chance she might go off the deep end a little bit.
1: You did call her a killer doll. Did I?
0: Oh, so many spoilers. But uh, yes, this film is tremendous fun. I've said this before. I'll say it again. It is the first and only masterpiece of 2023. No other masterpieces will be accepted. Jason Blum, of course. Blumhouse Pictures. Mm-hmm. James Wan, his company is Atomic Monster and they are in the midst of a merging. Mm. They're about to merge uh, to form Atomic Blumhouse or Blum Monster or whatever it's going to be called. And uh, very, very exciting news indeed. And if if everything they do going forward is as batshit insane as Megan, <laughs> then I'm absolutely there for it. Uh, so here we are talking about Megan, dolls, AI. I can't really remember, but it was a good, fun conversation. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Jason Blum and James Wan, the producers of Megan. Am I saying that right, guys, by the way? Or is it? should I go M3GAN? I'm, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> <if I'm... laughs> Megan is just fine. <laughs> just fine. Okay, how are you both? Great. great. Good. We're happy good. to talk to you. Excellent. Excellent. Likewise. Likewise. This film is bonkers, by the way. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> is that what you're looking for? I mean, I know, James, that you bonkers. came up with the this, this story for this. But yeah, is that what you're looking for in movies? You're looking for the box marked bonkers. And you, if you can take that, then you're good.
6: If you get a bonkers, you really you're on the right track. James, <laughs> we don't. I don't like to say James is bonkers, but he has great bonkers ideas. <laughs> um, well, no. What, what I would say to that is I, I'm always trying to
7: find different things to tell my horror films right my horror stories mm-hmm. and i'm always looking for new ways to sort of you know kind of break outside of the sandbox a little bit and uh and to do things a little bit different that we haven't quite seen even though you know we're playing in a genre or subgenre that has you know, very classic sort of tropes built within it, but you know, I'm always trying to do something different, whether it's in the haunted house genre or, uh, or in this case, you know, the the, the killer doll subgenre. We mm-hmm. we try to find elements that that sets it apart from all the other films.
6: Um, where did you but, start? You know, it's, it's it's interesting. That's how you know you're talking to a uh, a real storyteller, right? Because a story, if you're the story, is so um, part of James. You can't think like. I'm going to do something crazy cuz to cuz J- cuz cause, cause it's not crazy when you're creating it it, you can't. You can't. I, I would think. I don't know. I, I don't. I, I. have a different job. But when you're creating it, I don't. I don't think you can actually really think about it like that. But the genius of it is that you think of it that
7: way <laughs> when you see
6: it. Yeah, that,
7: that, that's right. Uh, see, Wes, I look at it and go, "This is this normal. Is normal.
6: <laughs> this is my everyday life." Uh, when he says my horror stories, like that's normal. Like no. everyone's got horror stories to tell. I just tell mine this way. That's right. It's.
7: Uh, it's just my family story
0: really <laughs> i was gonna say so james you get routinely attacked by killer dolls is that something that happens to you <laughs>
7: uh, i get well i am fascinated by creepy dolls obviously um, i'm fascinated by inanimate objects that are not supposed to have life to them but yet they look like they do and that's where the psychological creepiness for me, comes from and and yes, and so much of it plays on on, on a psychological level, and, uh, and and that's what I like. So you know, you can be a, a very obvious creepy doll movie like a Megan, like you know, like a Charles play, but you can also be a lot more subtle as well and, and, and speak about the human psyche in stories like Magic, for example, mm-hmm. right? You know, where it's not so much an actual killer doll, but uh, but it's the person behind the doll
0: precisely precisely because this movie talks an awful lot about the the advances of of ai and how much we're giving over of our lives to to digital helpers and virtual helpers and uh you know is that something that that keeps you awake at night what does keep you awake at
6: night by the way uh donald trump keeps me awake at (laughs) night um talk about
0: creepy uh, lifeless things
6: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. creepy lifeless robots but uh but uh but, but you know, and this will probably, I'll probably be proven very wrong and dumb. It's not like my top three things, but I definitely think that there are a lot of people who spend much more time in technology than I do that are very concerned about AI. So that to me in and of itself is very concerned. I mean, they know more about it than I do, certainly. and And the fact that they're worried definitely makes me worried about it.
0: Yeah listen to the people who are in the forefront of the
6: of those industries of the science
0: yeah. yeah if they start to run for the hills <laughs> go with them
7: follow them follow them yeah it, it, it's like the rats on the titanic if yeah. they're running off trying to get off yeah. the ship yeah exactly
0: yeah unfortunately i'll be either the band on the titanic playing until the end or i'll be leonardo dicaprio unable to get on that bloody door that's going to be me
7: yeah
0: sadly but uh, but but james is this something that is was that on your mind when, when you sat down with this? Because, you know, you, you came up with the story with this along with, with uh, Akela.
7: Yeah, um, I, I definitely do think, you know, um, it, it's, you know, the, the, the cautionary tale of technology running amok has been with us for a long time, right? You know, it, it's in literature and it's in pop culture and movies and stuff like that. Um, but what's interesting is a lot of these stories, a lot of these stories and movies that are, a warning about what would happen in the future were written or made a long time ago right whereas you know a movie like megan it's very relevant it's very timely to the world that we're in now we're living in a world where uh, we literally you know have um you know uh You know a device at home that we speak to alexa that 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 we tell it to turn on the lights tell it to shop for us and uh and and, you know we have self-driving cars now and uh and and not before long you know uh we may have sort of um you know other kind of robotic helps around i mean we have robotic vacuuming machine in the house and so so the idea of a megan doesn't seem so far-fetched anymore as let's say you know a, a story by asimov or, oh, oh, you know, or oh, oh clock back back in the days. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it, it's so so relevant in today's climate and how much technology has come in in you know in such a long you know come such a long way, but also in such a short amount of time as well.
0: Hmm. And re- and removing all the actual parenting from parenting as someone who's recently yeah. become a parent. That's that's quite appealing, I'll be honest. <laughs> see
6: you're ready, you're
7: so ready. so you would have a Megan at home, obviously, right? You you set Megan to take care of your child. Yeah,
0: but I would make sure that the non psychopathic setting was was on.
6: <laughs> was turned on. Yeah. yeah you're, you're, ready, you're ready to outsource. yeah <laughs> I'm ready to
0: outsource. I'm ready to go. Megan, turn on, but don't kill anyone. If, if there's a <laughs> set in there, I can, I can, I can take care of that. You're like uh,
7: the, that Homer Simpson doll when Homer forget to set the doll to. Uh, oh no, no the uh, 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 the crusty the clown doll that tries to kill him, right? And at the end, <laughs> he just forgot to set it from from evil to good. <laughs> very, my Simpsons reference there. there you go. That's a very. Uh, that's a very uh, two, early two thousand reference, right
0: there. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that whatsoever. Uh, listen, you know, if if that had happened in this movie, we'd be talking about a fifteen minute long movie. So that's 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 <laughs> that's, that's that's not ideal. But uh, but Jason, one of the last times you were on the podcast, uh, we've talked about this a couple of times actually. This incredible lo-fi solution that you had on a flight once, where you know you bought out the row of seats and you brought your own inflatable mattress, and that tells yeah. me that you're quite a lo-fi gentlemen, that you haven't been seduced by tech yet.
6: I know I am very, you can ask my wife or my kids. I'm very lo-fi. I'm not tech savvy. I certainly stare at my phone too much, but that is true. Tech is not my kind of fort for sure.
0: And is your phone a landline? Does it have, it's just one of those.
6: <laughs> no, but it's funny you say that because I insisted on having landlines in my house and everyone was very upset about it, including the contractor who said, no one has landlines <laughs> and we do have landlines. And I'm very happy that I have them and I love them. And I look at them and I feel better that they're there, even though I don't use them. <laughs> you cannot text with your landline. No, I can't. You cannot no, check no, your email. No. But I feel comfort. But I'll tell you something funny about the landlines. You can't actually get a landline, which is a wire anymore. The landlines, even the landline goes through in the area where we live. It goes through the internet, which was very, very annoying to me. That's right. <laughs> you can't get a so real... So if the
7: internet's down... Yeah, the internet's
6: yeah, the down. My landline down. doesn't work, which is so
0: annoying. <laughs> and is it one of those old-style phones? I mean, not to get too much into no, your phones. It is,
6: no, it is not old-style. It's a, it's a handheld <laughs> yeah. remote. It's not a rotary phone. Yeah, it's <laughs> not. No, not with the tube. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: <gasps> uh,
0: hello, operator. It's not one of those. Yeah, no. <laughs> okay,
6: no. All right. No, no, okay. Good. No. It is no. coin operated. Though. It is. <laughs> uh, it is. Yeah. Oh, this is coin operated. I was going to say it is operated by somebody.
0: Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, uh, honestly, if I was ever lucky enough to be on, on the receiving end of one of those big Jason Blum checks that, that get sent out every now and again, um, <laughs> then I would absolutely buy a coin operated phone box and install it in my house.
6: <laughs> well, you'll have to be in one of our movies. You'll have to be in one of our movies, and I'll send you those.
0: <laughs> I'm terrifying enough, Jason. I'm te- you know I've got I've got the <laughs> face, no makeup required. It's it's all here. Um, but I, I want to talk about I want to talk about you guys and how you work together as as producers in this. And obviously, it's gone. You've worked together in the past, and obviously, this is a working relationship that has gone well enough. There's been lots of talk recently about about Blumhouse and the Atomic Monster becoming one big entity. Uh, so, can you talk about that working relationship? When you first met, was it an instant click for you both?
6: Yeah, when we f- we first met, James and Lee uh, had, uh, pitched the first Insidious movie to, uh, to me. That was the first time that we met. And um, we had a terrific partnership and a terrific um, result from the first thing that we did together, which is Insidious. We're actually producing now the fifth movie. And James, as I'm sure you remember, um, wrote and directed uh, the first two movies. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always been trying to somehow figure out how to work with James as much as I possibly could. When he did the Conjuring movies without me, I almost died. But I, <laughs> I recovered barely, barely. And uh, and so so we have a really, we have really different strengths. We complement each other really well. And Megan is a great example of that. Megan happened happened before those larger conversations happened. But but hopefully, if we if everything goes the way we hope it does, um, we'll be doing much more together in the future.
7: Yeah, I think Megan is a good representation of how we work together.
6: Yeah, totally. In what way?
7: You know, we, we sort of, um, we, we, we're a good collaborative team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> I like to use the terminology that, you know, we're a bit of a yin and a yang when we come together. So, you know... Um, um, he, he helps me with this side of things and I help him with that side of things. So that's that's what,
6: that's what what's exciting. James has ideas and I execute.
7: <laughs> I, I, I have the ideas. Jason has the money, all right? That's how it works. <laughs> no, that's not true.
3: <laughs>
0: but Jason, you've said to me in the past as well that you do tend to leave directors and writers alone, but you also have sharp story instincts. So how does that work in 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 tandem with james
6: we give we give uh uh well slightly different with james than 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 the directors that we would work with Mm -hmm. um in that when we're working with the director we give them more creative control than they ordinarily have than when they work with the studio but my my experience doing that is usually that creates a much healthier dialogue because the director is not wondering if they're going to get to do what he or she wants to do. They know at the end of the day they're going to get to do that. So the director is more inclined to hear ideas and have a more healthy conversation about all the creative choices you make from beginning to the end of the movie. Um, With James, uh, should we be able to work together? The, i the 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 creative ideas for the movies will be coming from James. so will the the notes would be coming from James. I, I, I might be telling i might I might be behind the scenes encouraging the director to take the ideas because James <laughs> is a lot nicer than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and what was it like for
0: you both working with uh, Gerard on this on this movie? I mean, he does a hell of a job.
7: Yeah, listen, um, Jason and I, we're both big fans of Gerard's first film, Housebound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you watch Housebound, he, he has a similar thing with what he did with Megan, right? Which is, you know, he is really incredible with just walking that fine line with tone, right? So, like, he's able to create a really scary movie, creepy, suspenseful sequences, but he's able to offset that with something that's darkly humorous as well. And, uh, and that is a hard thing to pull off tone is always a tricky thing to pull off especially when comedy gets in there because the comedic part can really offset the horror aspect of it and and gerard's great at that but when you meet him he's like a very low-key guy he doesn't seem like he would be that guy but uh but he is really brilliant in in that respect and um and and he really gets the subtleties of um of how to play the suspense and how to play the humor and he knows when to go big
6: when he has to Mm. And he really, he really. Sometimes, to our frustration, he was incredibly focused on Megan. And I, during the process, there were there were times where that'd be like, "There's other things going on." And um, and I really give a lot of credit to him because he was totally right. Megan works because of Megan. Yeah. And he never forgot that. And I think um, he's not uh, he's 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 had experience as directors, but younger directors um you know oftentimes their focus will go on things they can control or whatever and they it's hard to prioritize as a director i guess when there's i have never directed but when so much is coming at you and he was terrific at never forgetting that megan had to be be perfect and if megan was perfect a lot of the other stuff would fall into place and so i think we're both very grateful to him for that
7: yeah and he's also very collaborative as well which is great you know like he he didn't just shut off off Necessarily, you know, he was willing to sort of listen, but then, you know, he he gets to filter it through himself as the filmmaker.
0: Yeah. Uh, you guys have a a lovely flashing Megan logo behind you, and I'm just looking Ooh. at the A that you have, and that A could easily become a four. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all
6: right, let's let's hope so.
7: <laughs> uh, actually, that should say Megan Universe. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. The yeah, Megan exactly. Cinematic Universe, not, not like, just a four.
7: We, we don't want numbers. Yeah. We, we we want a cinematic universe. Yes, exactly. I just love
0: the idea of Kidding. your second movie having the number four in this title. I, I don't
7: <laughs> <know>. <laughs> because this one has a three in it. Megan okay,
0: <laughs> you might as well. You might as well do that. Uh, we'll guys, we'll uh, go
7: back and we'll, we'll make one and two. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll George yeah. we'll Lucas it. Okay.
0: okay. Now that is bonkers and that's that's exactly where we should end we should end on bonkers is where we began uh guys i wish you all the best and uh thanks so much for your time thank you thank you brilliant cheers all right so that was james wan and jason blum producers of megan and let's talk about megan let's talk about megan because let's get the first reviews section of the year up and running helen megan
1: uh no just helen is fine oh but, okay um Megan, yes, this is directed by uh, Jared Johnstone and uh, stars Alison Williams as Gemma, who is a toy designer. Her her job is developing high tech, cool toys that will become the big next thing and that ideally cannot be ripped off and sold for cheaper by their competitors. Uh, That's what her boss, who's played by Ronnie Chen, is looking for. Um, but then tragedy strikes, and her uh, niece, uh, Kate, Katie, played by Violet McGraw, is orphaned and comes to live with Gemma. And both of them are really struggling, obviously, with their grief. They're struggling to to connect with each other. They're struggling to kind of just adjust to this new life. You know, Gemma having a daughter, Katie having this random, basically, or you know, uh, this this relation who she knows but isn't terribly close to, as her essentially new mother. And in the middle of this, Gem is under pressure to come up with a brave new exciting toy. And she basically returns to a preoccupation she's had that has been kind of poo pooed by her company in the past of making essentially a child sized doll with AI capabilities, some, some thing, I guess, that can teach your child, that can be a companion for it, that can answer its questions, that can, um, you know, provide guidance when you're not there about, you know, brushing her teeth and washing her hands and things like that, um, and that can almost co-parent with you. Um, so Megan is the result. She is uh, exactly pretty much Katie's size. She is prettily dressed. She has nice hair. She has giant eyes. She is very much an inhabitant of the Uncanny Valley and also is super obviously a murder bot. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, this could not have more red flags around her if she was a freaking, like, bunting village, village full of bunting. I mean, it is a very, very bad idea from the word go. But, mm. you know, we go anyway. We so and... finally learn
2: what happened after Yang.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a lovely film. Anyway, yeah, no, th- th- this one is not so lovely as Yang was. And and it is uh, a story about, uh, you know, a doll going crazy and killing people. It's also, though, you know, to be fair to it, it's a story about grief and... Um, you know, forming a new family and these two very um, damaged women or damaged, you know, a girl and a woman kind of finding Mm -hmm. a way to connect, hopefully, if they live long enough to do so.
7: Yes,
2: (laughs) yes. Uh, you guys have been talking about this since you first saw it. I'm desperate to watch this and can mm-hmm. make the screening. But uh, like Chris, like you you're like you this is this is your this is your I'm shilling for this film at the moment. I'm a Megan and, stan. Yeah, you are a Megan stan.
0: Yeah, I I think it's tremendous. Uh it's a, an eight star extravaganza of an experience. No, it's it's a film that knows exactly what it is, uh, which is a bad shit. Helen thinks it's not quite as insane as it could be but I think it's just beautifully observed it's pitch black comedy uh, it's got lovely satirical touches uh, quite broad at times but also quite uh, quite subtle also you know it starts with an advert that could have belonged in Robocop for example a TV advert that that, that you know that seems like it's from Robocop uh, I, Megan is an instant horror icon you can stand toe to toe with Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers and not nose to nose though she's a lot shorter no she's shorter. a lot yeah. shorter uh, and you know obviously the the most obvious antecedent is Chucky and I think that she's uh, as impactful and memorable and funny as Chucky is and I was prepared going into this to go oh this just feels like another you know kind of chance play ripoff. But it's great. It's got its own personality, its own character. She's tremendous. I read a little bit about how they brought her to life. There, there is a, a an actress involved, ten year old dancer. There are obviously lots of CG face replacement, that sort of things. Um, but yeah, it's it's great. And there is a there is a you know kind of heartwarming heartfelt story at its centre as well that I particularly resonated with, um, given, again, my recent changes in circumstances. I, I think this is great fun. It's a, a PG-13 in the States. I'm not quite sure what it is over here, maybe a 15. So it's not filled with wall-to-wall blood or grisly kills. But when they do come, they don't disappoint. They
1: don't skim. I mean, there's some yeah. things where you're like, well, she's. they're definitely going to kind of stop short here and they mm. keep going, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it doesn't... Um, yeah, it doesn't fall short in, yeah. that, in that respect. It doesn't feel, to me anyway, it doesn't feel balderized. It doesn't feel mm. like it's been kind of reined in too no. much to get that rating. So, um, yeah, no, I I, I I liked it probably a little bit less than you, but I still thought it was a lot of fun. It's funny, it's scary. Um, well, it's gory, at least. And it's, um, yeah, it, she's she's very striking looking. She's a very I striking very much girl.
2: enjoyed the tweets going around saying that she has big Hollywood publicist vibes. Uh, she does she has the look of someone who after promising you a 15 minute interview says uh, I believe it said in the tweet uh, after the 11
0: minute mark last question (laughs) yes very much so very much so Um, and uh, yeah it's not scary it's not scary but it's a great audience reaction Mm -hmm. movie and I think it's hilarious and it is the definitive answer to the question I know James you are not sure about this but it's a definitive answer because it's from the same team as Malignant (laughs) Uh, to the question of was Malignant intentionally funny? And the answer is very oh, much yes. Very much yes. I much yes. did not enjoy that film at all. That's it, I really want to watch this one, but I
2: did maybe hate Malignant with the Fire of Thousands.
0: I know, times. I know, I know, you haven't um, uh, held back on that one. But the yeah. uh the it's it's good. It doesn't have the the slap in the face twist that Malignant does, but it's exactly it, it's a film that you think it's gonna be. Yeah. And sometimes that's okay. Mm. Uh, and it really delivers in spades And I'm delighted to say that we're we're doing a spoiler special. I'm doing the interview tonight with Jared Johnstone and it Cooper, awesome. who also wrote *Malignant*, and I look forward to getting into the uh, the madness with them. So we gave us one four stars, four stars in for Megan. And uh, but go on, give it another twenty. I should also mention earlier on in my introdu- introduction, I was talking about the uh, the trafiles that were assailing Francis Ford Coppola and *Megalopolis*. And we we didn't talk about that in the movie news section. It's very very quick. Uh, and there was a Hollywood Reporter story out this week that says that *Megalopolis*, which is Francis Ford Coppola's new movie, and one of his self financing this is epic epic movie. Uh, is running into f- f- problems that are not um, new to Francis Ford Coppola uh, on a movie and uh, apparently there's, there's all sorts of chaos and then he and his star Adam Driver have taken to social media and said no, nonsense, we're actually okay everything's good here and Adam Driver was holding up a newspaper with the day's date on it, so it was okay <laughs> Proof of life Yeah, <laughs> proof of life and, uh, and so we shall see we shall see but uh, this has happened to Coppola before of course yeah. and the result was one of the greatest movies ever made
1: I, look, I hope it turns out well, except that I'm quite enjoying reading all the stories of chaos just for the lols. Mm-hmm. But, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, it, it sounds like there's currently no art department and no VFX. Team, I'm available.
0: So. I'm available. There we both. go. I'm uh, proficient in Photoshop and Quark Express. Are you there? No. <laughs> 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 Absolutely not. Hiring me for an art department would be a disaster of biblical proportions. But I am, I cannot stress this enough, available. So. Next up, we have Todd Field coming up on the podcast just after this. Remind me to introduce him. (laughs) Otherwise, I'll have to do an overdub. Um, Jimbo. He has returned. He's, it's been a long time since Todd Field made a movie, Little Children. Yeah, he's not the most prolific. He's not prolific, no. he, he, Kubrick was is someone that he aspires to, and this is a Kubrickian gap in his CV. Third, third film in 20 years? Third yeah. film, yeah. In yeah. the Bedroom, tremendous, Little Children. Yeah. I didn't like as much as In the Bedroom, but he was clearly a director of note, and a major director of note, and then he just stopped making films anyway, and he's back with tar.
2: He is indeed. Uh, and this obviously stars Kate Blanchett, as everyone will know, since she... Has won and will win and is winning all of the awards for this performance, and with good reason. So she plays Lydia Tarr. She's this acclaimed conductor with the Berliner Philharmonica. Uh, she's this prodigious talent. Uh, she's she's raised- an egot. She's got an egot. Yes, Ooh. indeed. Uh, she's raising a daughter with her partner, who's also first chair of the orchestra. Uh, she's got a book about to come out. She's teaching and she's preparing for the crowning achievement of her career, uh, which is uh, an appearance on the Empire Podcast. Yes, indeed. She's recording an episode of the Empire Podcast live at King's Place London. Now, uh, (laughs) she's far from perfect. She is an anti-heroine, really. And she has, let's say, there are indiscretions past and indeed present. They start to emerge. There is a new cellist in the orchestra, Olga, played by Sophie Cower, who is an actual real-life cellist. Hot fact for you there. Uh, Who she maybe, uh, let's say, has caught her eye, and things begin to unravel Bit by bit. so it's very much a character study it's very much focused on her. It starts with what I would describe as the wildest cold open I've ever seen, which is her asleep and someone filming her on a mobile for what five seconds and then you get the entire credits of the film. So it kind of wrong foots you. I would say from the very very beginning. Did you leave? Uh, yes, I did. I thought, <laughs> oh, I thought that was surprisingly short.
1: They told me uh, it was quite a long. Th- they hour told hour. me it was nearly three hours
2: long. But I'm very pleasantly surprised. Uh, no, no, it's it's but like I say, it's 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 an odd format to begin with but it settles into this very because you go straight from that that cold open to the credits to this sit down interview with uh with the New Yorker where she essentially almost lays out the exposition for the film so she lays out who she is what she's doing what a conductor is which is actually quite important information a lot of people I didn't really understand what conductor did I thought they just waved a stick about but apparently there's more to it than that of um so that was quite interesting, but what, for me, what this did, so it's a character study, it's fascinating, it's an incredible performance of a very flawed individual, but it made the subject matter incredibly accessible and incredibly interesting, and weirdly within, and like I say, it's a nearly three-hour film, within, I would say, the first five minutes of this film, I was pretty much hooked by it, and I really didn't expect to me. I was not dreading seeing it, because I knew it was going to be very good, but I thought it's nearly three hours, I'm not. A massive classical music buff. I don't know a great deal about it. I don't know anything about conducting orchestras, whatnot. You just wave a stick about. You just wave a stick about. But it's it's absolutely fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. You know, it's a really charismatic performance from Mm -hmm. her. She's Absolutely magnetic for all of her flaws. And she's really believable. And you root for her, even as she starts to completely fuck up her entire life. Um, yeah, I just I thought it was it was magnificent. It's about self-image. There's power dynamics in there, how she's kind of abusing her position as the head of the orchestra. Uh, there's sort of like elements of sort of like transactional sexual shenanigans that have been going on, the relationship with her assistant who wants to be her deputy conductor, her old deputy conductor, her partner who is obviously the head violinist in the orchestra, all these different pieces and how they interplay and how she, who starts the film very self-possessed and very in control of her life and everything around her, how she gradually, through a a few clear mistakes, it all starts to spin away from her. Mm. But it's really, really Mm. riveting stuff. And of course, the main... You know, draw here is that performance, which yeah. and she's amazing. Generally, is the best performance of her career. It's absolutely say. head and yeah. shoulders
1: the best performance of her career, and I don't say that really. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's astonishing, it's amazing. It's absolutely astonishing. And it's about you're, you're right about all of that. It's about power. It's about privilege. I mean, that mm. that opening shot of her being filmed on a phone is on a private jet. You yeah. know, she's she's lunching at the best restaurants with the, the the big deep-pocketed people who fund her. She is courted and admired by everyone she meets and you can kind of you get a sense of how this warps you as an individual and how um, this is not to take away her responsibility because she absolutely the, the film is very clear it is her responsibility but it also shows this kind of you know not gilded cage but gilded uh surroundings that she's built for herself. Um, so I thought that was really interesting. It, it does deal with Me Too kind of issues mm. in a very f- interesting and, and complicated way, which I thought was, was fascinating as well. It also, for me, has one of the great kind of punchlines of an ending in cinema. The last shot of this film is inspired.
0: Also, absolutely inspired. Yes,
2: and and what I really liked about this, you would not think this is a film whose finale hinges on you having a certain amount of nerd knowledge, and yet here we
1: are. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, there are actually there have been several films this award season that have incredible final shots. This is one of them. We'll talk about another in a couple of weeks. But um, but that just it just blew me away. Which one? Finale. The Fablemans. Oh, I haven't seen it. Incredible yet. final shot. Or not incredible, but just very, very, very clever.
3: Yeah.
1: Um so so yeah, I I, I love this. I absolutely I mean and, and and it I will say, yes, it's two and three quarter hours, but yeah. it doesn't feel two no. and three quarter hours. You are hooked enough that it passes pretty quickly.
0: Sounds like a hella good time. Cause she was hella in for yes. Ragnarok. Yes, Chris. Mm-hmm. Yes. Previously, wait, wait. her best performance.
1: Right, way to bring Marvel into That's good.
0: That's good. I can't, I, it. I can Again, I was getting itchy. <laughs> I was getting itchy. Got a text from Kevin going. Mention Marvel. Quick, quick. <laughs> we are monitoring it's your been all times. Minutes and minutes. <laughs> Must feed, feed the Marvel meter. Oh, come on. Uh, three stars sounds like yeah. Mm. Uh, Yeah, three stars then. No, five. This is a five. It is. There's a big old five. Big ol' five for tar. Yeah. Very exciting. Don't leave it 825 million (laughs) years. Next time, Todd Field. Huh? Uh, What's next? Uh, How about Empire of Light? Let's do
1: it. Yeah. So this is uh, Sam Mendes working with Roger Deacons on cinematography. The Deeks. Deeks. Um, You know, Olivia Coleman, Colin Firth. The Cole. Starring. Um, and it's about, you know, small town cinema in 1980s Britain. On paper, I am super, super there. And and there's a lot in this that's really interesting and, and you know, beautifully put together, as you would expect from these filmmakers. So um, Olivia Colman plays Hillary. She is a sort of senior member of staff at this small town cinema um, in the early 1980s. Uh, and she is assigned to kind of mentor and, and teach this new member of staff played by Michael Ward, who is coming in and uh, getting his first job in the cinema and she kind of shows him the ropes and, and shows him around and they strike up this friendship and it's clear to them that both of them feel somewhat like outsiders for reasons that aren't entirely clear to begin with, at least on her part. He, of course, is is a minority in this very white small town and, you know, he's a, he's a dark-skinned man and he is... Um, subject to racism quite frequently throughout this film. Like sort of, th- th- this might almost be a trigger warning situation because there are skinheads in this movie mm-hmm. who are roaming the streets and basically looking for trouble, national front, trou- national Dick front yeah. dickheads, yeah, dickheads mm-hmm. uh, looking for trouble uh, to make trouble for people like him. So it's, it's a really um, quite confronting film in that sense in some ways. Um, and they strike up this, this friendship initially, this kind of relationship Um and it, it starts to reveal stuff about particularly Hillary's life. And you start to learn a little bit more about her. You start to learn that she uh, has a relationship also with her boss, who's played by Colin Firth. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, It's a workplace relationship in a way that you're not clear is appropriate or not. He mm-hmm. is uh, the manager of the cinema. He has hiring and firing power here. And uh, it's not quite clear if she is, uh, you know, genuinely in love with him, or if something slightly more sinister and gross is going on. So there's a lot of different kind of story threads to unpick here. There's a lot of different kind of themes that I think Sam Mendes is is trying to explore, and the film kind of meanders through a lot of big issues um, in a way that. I find a little bit discombobulating, if I'm honest. I find it, you know, it didn't feel like it was getting into any of these things, and maybe it's trying to say, look, all of these, you know, a lot of different things come together in our lives and can kind of uh, exacerbate each other, or you know, uh, help us heal from other things. You know, it's all of these things interact. Life is complicated. I, th- I think there's maybe an idea of that here, but it didn't always completely come across to me what he was trying to say. Yeah. So while I was kind of interested in these characters and, and surprised by some of the sort of twists and turns that the film takes in dealing with them, I didn't feel like I totally had a grip on it by the time it ended. And I didn't feel I kind of understood what it was trying to tell me um, by the time it ended. So, you know, it looks as incredible as you would expect from Mendes and from Deacons and from mm-hmm. the, this cast. It's as well acted as you would expect from this cast. I I just, I, I didn't feel I was with it the whole
0: time. We gave us one three stars. Three stars then for Empire of Light. And the last one we're going to dig into this week is Mark Jenkins, Ennis Maine. He made a big splash, Mark Jenkins, uh, with his debut Bait, uh, which came out a couple of years ago and had people agog at its lo-fi, low-budget stylings. And he is a Cornish filmmaker. And again, this is a film set uh, in and inspired by Cornish folklore. Uh, this one's in colour. <laughs> uh, and despite the fact it's called Ennis Men on the title, uh, it, it Men is pronounced Main in yeah. this way. So don't expect the a same superhero same film. A, it was a disappointing yeah. superhero team. Yeah. 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 They, they, they don't come together in this film to fight Ennis. Uh, but Jimbo,
7: yeah.
0: I know you love this movie. <laughs> I was certainly there when this movie was on.
2: <laughs> uh, and its main was called Cornish for Stone Island, which is where this is set. So this is set in 1973. as a sort of windswept, uninhabited island off the coast of Cornwall uh, where an unnamed wildlife observer, played by Mary Woodvine, uh, keeps track of one flower, uh, and goes steadily insane. At least that's more or less the part of it that I understood. Uh, So this is shot in 4.3, it's shot in 16mm, it kind of revels in its sort of 70s vibe, and it's either a kind of staggering work of surreal, psychedelic genius that I don't understand, or it is extremely pretentious twaddle that I still don't understand. (laughs) And I'm genuinely not sure which it is. And the best way I can describe this is, this is basically, if we had joined The Force Awakens three years earlier, this is what Luke Skywalker's daily routine is. I've seen her routine. She is not busy. Uh, It's basically that. She tits about on this island... Looking at flowers, she writes in her journal every day. There's a mon- I mean, it's deliberate. There is a deliberate, routine monotony to the film. And as it goes on, she sees visions of spectral preachers. She sees spectral children. She's there's an incident with a boatman. Like, I mean, that's basically the whole story. There isn't so much a plot to this. It's a folk horror, I guess. But it's more a mood than mm. it is a Film in the traditional sense, I would say. Like, nothing really happens. There's some timey-wimey stuff in there if you kind of pay attention to actually what's going on and what's like. So, there's no spoken word for 15 minutes. And the first thing you hear is the radio. And like the dialogue, there's probably one page of dialogue in this entire script. uh It is just her wandering around on an island doing her routine day in, day out. And I think the mood lands, like it's quite unsettling at at moments, but it's just, I I just, I was sitting there thinking I am either, which is possible, just far too stupid to understand what he is trying to do or there is just nothing happening. I think,
1: I think to be fair, I think it is about the vibe and not about the plot. And, and, the plot is what you take from the vibe almost if that makes sense do you know what i mean? like I, f- I feel like that's what he's going for i was interested in it i thought it looks incredible i mean he does he not only directs he uh, and produces and writes and yeah. all that but he also uh, is the is his own dp he's his own editor he's his own composer i was sitting there going wow this this score is actually really atmospheric really really um impactful and and that's also him he's like an inc- extraordinary multi hyphenate but um, but it is only really, ultimately, a vibe. So the vibe I got is a sort of ghost story kind of a thing. You know, there's a lot of kind of um, things hinted at here. And I think maybe we're meant to just take from it what we but take from it. Do you not
2: think that when you go to the cinema, I kind of feel a little bit like when I go to the cinema, I quite want the filmmaker to bring the story with them rather than expecting me to kind of fill in the blanks. I
1: know, but like, it's a different kind of film, isn't it? It's not for everyone. In Um, the same way, you go to a Terrence Malick film and you expect, you know, long shots of grass waving in the breeze. (laughs) When you go to a Mark Jenkins film, you expect a bit of the vibe and not just... The plot, yeah, and you know when you go to a Marvel film, if it's grass waving in the breeze, there better fucking be a monster in it, or you know you're out of here. You know, there's different vibes, and I feel like the, it's just the vibe here, and it's not the plot. Mm. So with that in mind, with that hat on, I thought it was brilliantly done, but I would quite like to see. Him try a more traditional, yeah. plot I don't film own that sometime. hat. Just, unfortunately, just for, <laughs> you know, just for lols.
2: I just it's 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 very much a not me film. I think it is fairly safe to say this I is not for you. No. Found yeah. it quite no.
0: punishing. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting film. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I thought it was very unsettling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, it's, it's edited very well. The yeah, sound design is beautifully shot. Sound but, design is great. Uh, I was watching it on my computer with my headphones on, and that was a really intended. creepy experience. I'm sure he actually he might have done because he's quite meticulous with this, with the this sound design. So the fact that I was cocooned away from everything and the, it was living in my head, yeah, and some unsettling images as well. Mm. Yeah, it, yeah. I, the vibe is great. The vibe is great. But uh, Ben Wheatley does movies in this mm-hmm. oeuvre as well. And he manages to... Have a story. Yeah. Fix a plot to things. Mm -hmm. like, Field in England is batshit insane, but it has a story. Kill this has a story. Would it kill you to have a story? Anyway, (laughs) four stars for Ennis Main. And uh, there's one more film, real quick. This is Nicolas Cage, Mm. Western. He's never done a Western before. He has now.
1: Yeah. Um, This is The Old Way, a film title that I had real trouble remembering. It was like The Old Man, The Old Thing, The Old girl i like genuinely couldn't remember it for for days but it is the old way he plays a former kind of uh sharpshooting mercenary cowboy type um who has now settled down and is raising a daughter with his wife uh working as the owner of a general store and uh one day wouldn't you know it a figure from his past shows up and wouldn't you know it i mean this is a very minor spoiler because it's the most obvious thing ever it kills the wife no and he and the daughter set out on a sort of sub-true-grit uh, mission of revenge. So the director, uh, Brett Donohue, um, does have one kind of really interesting idea, I think, in this, and that is the idea that um, this character, Colton Briggs, Nicolas Cage's character, and and indeed his daughter, who's played by Ryan Kira Armstrong, her name is Brooke on screen, there's this idea that they're basically somewhere on the autism spectrum, and that that is what has made him this great gunfighter that he is just cool, calm and collected because he doesn't see things the way that other people do. He doesn't react with the same panic when the guns start firing. And that's what's made him this legendary really cool gunfighter. And that his daughter has, you know, inherited some of these traits and is also kind of struggling to fit in with other people, struggling to know how to react to tragedy, to danger. So that was a really good idea. But everything else in this film is super derivative of every other Western you've ever seen. Uh, most notably True Grit, but also a bit mm. of Unforgiven, a bit of ever- this, a bit of that. So th- that was disappointing. So, you know, you can take it off your list. Nicholas Cage has now done a Western. Um, and and there is, like I say, I think there is an honourable and a genuine attempt to say something interesting here about neurodivergence. Um, but a- apart from that, it's, it's very much everything you've seen before.
0: All right. We don't have an official Empire review yet, but it sounds like Helen, you are in the two-star camp.
1: I think that's fair. Like, it'd be a high two, you know, but it's not quite a three. Oh, sorry. Point. Helen, sounds like you're in the two-star camp. <laughs> you're a monster. <sighs>
0: Should we have Todd Field?
1: Let's do it. Let's Yay. have Todd
0: Field. Todd Field is the director of Tar, which is James's favourite movie of the year so far. I Did not see that coming.
2: That's great. <laughs> I really liked
0: it. <laughs> and, Had a story uh, which was in his favour. Yes, certainly. yes. And uh, he was in London uh, just before Christmas and we sent along Ian Freer.
3: Hmm
0: to have a chat with him and um i haven't heard this back yet but i am told that it was good todd field talking to the legendary in freer do please enjoy
3: todd field welcome to the empire podcast how are you i'm well thank you okay um, and thanks so much for agreeing to do this we're we're here to discuss tar which is seems to me that lydia tar who's this sort of venerated conductor played by Kate blanchett she's kind of taken on a life of her own People are trying to check up Wikipedia to find out biographical facts about her. That must be very gratifying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that be strange? How, how do you feel about
4: that? <laughs> I, it wasn't something I expected, if that's what you're asking. Right. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And when, when you were thinking about the movie, did you ex- think about the character first or the, the kind of milieu of classical music? How did that happen? The character.
4: I mean, the character, she'd been some uh, character that had been sort of niggling at me for about 10 years before I ever... Wrote this.
3: Okay. And what, what were the kind of early forms did she take? What, 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 I never had,
4: I, I placed her in, uh, the, I thought of this character at the top of some kind of um, structure, some kind of um, structure that she had not necessarily built, but certainly navigated to get to the top of. So. For a long time, I had her like at the top of an entertainment company, um, or, you know, she could have been at the top of an architectural firm or anything like that. Um, Yeah. The idea of her being in this milieu um, is very handy, both visually and and audibly, uh, especially given her afflictions having to do with sound. Um, But mainly because it's, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of time dramatizing the idea of a, the, the, basically the equivalent of a, of a Greek god throwing down, you know, thunderbolts from Mount Olympus. Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. And you wrote the role for Kate. Yes. What were the kind of performances that you'd seen Kate in before that you'd loved? What What were the, what were the kind of stand-up performances for
4: you? Oh, yeah, too many to mention. I mean, <laughs> um, but I really wrote it for her, not based on her work as an actor. I really uh, did it on this one meeting I had had with her uh, in New York when I was talking to her about Uh, Maybe playing this character that um, was in a script that Joan Didion and I had written, right? Um, And that meeting that I had with her, the way that she talked about, uh, holistically talked about the film, uh, aside from the character, just the sort of the bigger issues of the film and the possibilities for the film, um, really stuck with me. And I thought someday I really want to be able to collaborate and be in dialogue with this person. So. It was really the intelligence that she had about process that made me think she would be right for this part.
3: Yeah. And there's a lot of texting at 2 a.m. discussing the character, isn't there? wasn't not theres that
4: fair? Yes. And there was some, yeah, there was a, you know, we got to a point where we were calling each other daily and where I'd be, you know, standing outside my son's little league field watching him you know about ready to hit a home run and I, i'd say I'd, hold on a minute <laughs> walter just hit a home run and she'd say yeah but this thing about you know Greshke, i mean the thing is is and i was like whoa whoa, whoa, whoa just stop. <laughs> 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 yeah and that yeah. went on for that went on for you know nine months before we were ever on the ground together so we had yeah. a we had a lot of time and um, she,
3: she made a couple of movies in all the time you were developing the character that's isn't? true she yeah. made
4: she made t- a couple of films um and she would and, um, she would work all day and then she'd come home and work all night on this yeah. so I don't I don't know when she sleeps yeah. I, she's got to be the hardest working person I've ever met
3: it's kind of hard to imagine a more demanding role isn't it she's in practically every frame of this film she's in
4: every single um, scene in this film with the exception of two shots um, wow. the first shot is a shot when the character Francesca Lantini is crossing from Zittermer's pharmacy um, on the upper east side going on her way To enter the carlisle hotel and the second shot is um at the very end the very last shot so um other than that she's in every every other scene and she drives every other scene
3: it's amazing that's so demanding isn't it for an actor that's oh it's
4: it's 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 incredible i mean it's incredible she she i don't know when she slept yeah
3: yeah um there's a lot of debate online about she's an egot winner and there's a lot of debate about what she won an Oscar for. Do you have strong ideas about this? Or? Sure, of
4: course. Yeah, I have a little box; it's all written out. I, I, but uh, but I'm much more interested in people cooking up their own answers for for okay. all of those uh, you know North American uh, bowling trophies. So uh, <laughs> I, I'm interested in if you have any ideas. Somebody I spoke to in New York yesterday had all kinds of ideas about what they were, um, and it was really fun to hear other people's thoughts. You know? Yeah.
3: Yeah, what are some of the thoughts what's what's out there
4: um well i can't you know i i you have to have your own ideas this is this is a Roshaks, you know <laughs> okay, here. So, yeah i mean what, what do you think she won her oscar for well
3: i don't know because she she made she has a lovely little dig at jerry goldsmith that made me wonder how she felt about film music anyway what, what, what was her deal with film music yeah, it's funny, the Goldsmith thing. Somebody else
4: asked me about this as if it was a jab at Jerry Goldsmith, and I don't think so. I mean, I think she admired Goldsmith. I think she was using that just to illustrate a point about um, uh, revenge, you know, at, right. and, yeah. and that we all steal from each other. And she's suspicious of pastiche because she knows she's a perfect practitioner of it herself, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, Jerry Goldsmith, what a great composer, Absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, if you, if you believe what you know, the the composers that she championed, in spite of what she says to this young student about atonal and everything, it seems that she had her own four way into that area. Um, and I suspect that if she was writing film music, it it would be something similar. Yeah, uh,
3: there's a nice nod to Hilda. Hilda, good news here in the film, isn't there? Where where Tar references her. That's a lovely little yeah. moment. Who's she composed she film? does she does reference
4: Hilda Gondader yeah, as a composer so, so. you know um and I think the thing about Hilda is a lot of people have been introduced to her through her work on Chernobyl and with, obviously with Todd Phillips film Joker yeah. um, and um, and are, are meeting her music for the first time you know but a, a lot of us have been listening to her for a very long time yeah. and um, and she would be precisely the kind of composer that tar would have championed yeah. You know?
3: It's a tough gig for a composer, isn't it? Because you're you're sharing the film with Mahler and Elgar, and <laughs> that's just tough. Isn't it?
4: well, I think it would be tough if you were uh, if you were a composer that um, had a very particular kind of um, uh, toolbox that you worked in. But Hildur's art is really based on she works really from the inside out. You know, yeah. she's always talking about the character and saying, "Why are they doing this? What is their pulse? What is their rhythm?" Um, and she she understood, you know, immediately as as any film composer um, uh, probably would. But you know, her experiences. She grew up in a musical family. Her father is a conductor, right? Um, a famous conductor, and her mother, I believe, is an opera singer, and her brother's a musician, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and she knew, you know, that we mustn't put a hat on a hat. You can't have people that are for real making music that you're watching and listening to on screen um you can't then underscore their lives with the same kind of concert music or or with using the same tools you know um so it was more about going through and she insisted when we sat down she said let's spot the film i said well i haven't made it yet she said no let's go through the script and let's spot the film let's decide now what kind of noises um she's hearing let's decide when things start to turn for her and why and when we start and and when we introduce score and how we um you know as as thomas newman would say how do we sneak in and how do we sneak out you know and um her approach was very very surgical and very specific um and fantastic to watch um because she brought players in when i was still prepping she was recording music that she knew some of which might be used in the film some of it might just be used on set for mood um and and that process with her went from almost for 14 months wow yeah. so she stayed on it wasn't like she was you know uh, <laughs> it wasn't like she was on a daily stipend or she made money that's just uh-huh. how she works you know so that was a very we were very very lucky to have her
3: yeah i know. thought the film's brilliant on fascinating about the politics of Haskell music world and about the, the, the minutiae of it, about how you choose a second piece for your album or or the kind of the, the or blind audition process. That's fascinating that world, isn't it?
4: It is. And it's fascinating um, to me in that, you know, when I came up as a musician, blind auditions were de rigueur. That's, that's what you would do. However, I remember even when I was in high school having a blind audition where everyone who was on the other side of that door said clearly i had won the audition and that the person that was a determining adjudicator had made the choice for the other player and when asked by these other people why did you do that their answer was well so and so that this is all they have and i'm afraid that if they don't get the chair they'll leave school so uh, that it's funny, I only thought about that just now <laughs> talking to you. Maybe that's where this came from. Anyway, yeah. um, but but this idea that there's supposed to be this sort of purity in terms of decision-making in the artistic process, which of course is absurd, yeah. right? Yeah,
3: there's a lovely moment where she has to justify why she's chosen the player she's chosen. Right. Yeah, that's just beautiful, yeah. Bro, okay, um, I wonder if I could take you back a bit. Um, I read that when you were a projectionist, you showed Rays of Lost Ark 250 times probably yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, what do you learn about race of lost ark when you see it that many times you learn the craft
4: um you learn certain things that steven spielberg would do with such uh just incredible uh you know facility you know the way that he would have a, a master shot that would then turn into a two shot that would go into an over that would go into a detail really classical classical uh uh filmmaking almost from another time you know um yeah uh, and and yet do it in in a on a film that would have been an adventure film directed by michael Curtiz, starring errol flynn you yeah. know but do it with a formality that was just so incredible you know um I remember going to school on those and seeing how what Steven I, I think I read someplace called hinge shots, which is a kind of What's a that? nice term, hinge shots, where you'd like to take a, a long, long master and shoot the whole thing and then just be able to be able to key it off of just like one reaction shot of somebody and be able to get back into that master without getting caught. So it didn't feel like he was impoverished or double cutting. Yeah. You know, things like that. He was a real classicist, especially then, you know. Um, and, and it's it's kind of a perfect film.
3: Yeah. I, as a Raiders fan, I was thrilled that Kate Blanchett shared scenes with Julian Glover in Tar. I thought that's a nice, if you're a fan, you love that stuff. Yeah, 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 of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at that time, who were the other filmmakers that you were kind of, you, mean you were thinking about being a filmmaker at that point. Who were the filmmakers you were thinking about at that time?
4: Well, I was I had a limited exposure. I was living in a you know, I I was living in sort of the, the burbs outside of Portland, Oregon, and I was working in a second run movie house. So I really had access mostly to the to the films that I was running. And so that was random, you know, like yeah. there were films coming in, like the jazz singer with Neil Diamond or uh, <laughs> escape from New York, John Carpenter well, with Blake Bliskin, yeah. <laughs> you know, I saw that a hundred times or, or, or ordinary people, you know, which I fell in love with deeply in love with, um, with Redford as a, as a director and with some of the finest acting you could ever want to see. Um, Judd Hirsch, yeah. I mean, perfect in that movie. Everyone's perfect. in the Donald Sutherland that's like, became my favorite actor of all time from that film, Mary Tyler Moore. You where yeah. did that performance come from, you know, and Tim Hunton, the reason he got the Oscar, you know, it's just like kind of a perfect film. Um, Diner, you know, Barry Levinson's film. Uh, I watched that a million times, Larry Kasdan's film, Body Heat. You know, so it was a. those fairly mainstream films at the time, which is kind of uh, interesting to think about now in terms of how the business has shifted and, and changed, you know? Um but there was one art house in downtown Portland that occasionally, um, I would go. I would make the trek down there with my sister and watch films like Montenegro. With uh, yeah, you know, or or or, or um, do some Makaya film, yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, and it, every year Woody Allen had a film come out. It was it was a pilgrimage that everybody made back then. You know, so um, it wasn't really though until I moved to New York City and had a job waiting tables across from Lincoln Center and the New York Film Festival was going on that year. And that year. Um, it was the first films for the cohen brothers it was the first film for jim jarmusch yeah there was a retrospective of Truffaut. there so it was that was like mind-blowing i mean that changed everything for me which is um seeing a a a language i had never ever been exposed to before and that that's really when when i thought i want to do this
3: yeah yeah and a lot of the, when people talk about your work, they often call it Kubrickian. Do you, do you recognize that? Was was he a big influence?
4: Well, I think S- Stanley was a big influence on anyone. Yeah. I mean, none of us have escaped his influence. Yeah. I mean, we're whole, I'm holding an iPhone. Does that exist without the monolith? <laughs> yeah. Does any of Apple's design ex- <laughs> exist without the monolith? Yeah. You know, I mean, without yeah. 2001, I, I, I don't. I, I'm sure he had a big influence on me before I ever worked with him or yeah. met him. So, if people you know? don't
3: know, you you acted for him in Eyes Wide Shut. I acted for him in Eyes
4: Wide Shut, but I acted for him in Eyes Wide Shut after I quit acting. I had already gone through, uh, I'd already gotten my um, master's degree as, as a fellow at the American Film Institute and was supposed to be uh, working on a feature film when I got that call. I didn't even have an acting agent at the time. Um, yeah. He just. Said, I think you should do this, and I, I said, yeah, I think I should too. I, yeah. you know, I would have paid for the privilege of handing out donuts on that set.
3: <laughs> mm. And, and uh, because of the su- success of Tar, the your scene f- with Tarantino talking about Top Gun is doing the rounds on online and on. Do you, <laughs> you're shaking your head. Whoa, whoa. Uh, do you have good memories of that? How, how oh yeah, that I had it? great
4: memories of that. I mean, I met Quentin Tarantino uh, b- before when he was casting for Reservoir Dogs. Um, and I have it on good authority that it, it was down between um, Tim Roth and I. I was really crushed. Man,
3: through, man. <laughs> yeah,
4: Mr. Orange, right? <laughs> and, um, and that script was so
7: fresh.
3: Yeah.
4: And no one had ever written anything that I'd ever read like that. And I read dozens of scripts you know, over, over the course of a month, every month. And I really wanted to do that. Um, and so I was really thrilled when I was doing this film um, directed by Rory Kelly, when I was actually yeah. in film school, called "Sleep with Me." Yeah. Now that day, there was supposed to be this. Um, the scene takes place where the character I play, Dwayne, has sold his first screenplay, yeah. and there's a big party, and everyone's sort of fetting him, and um, and I, and so I I was told by Michael Steinberg and Neil Jimenez and 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 Dwayne Delamico and, produces, and, and and Rory right. Kelly um, that. This guy, the Quentin, they go, do you know Quentin Tarnello? I said, yeah, actually, I have met Quentin. Um, uh, well, he's coming up. He's prepping this movie called Pulp Fiction with our sane cinematographer, Andre Um And we've written the scene for you guys to do together. I said, okay. And now, now this scene was basically me doing all the talking. Like that would ever happen with Quentin, right? So Quentin comes up and he goes, hey man, hey, hey, listen, listen. Um, I, I was just driving up here. I, I, you know, I'm just thinking about the scene, man. And I, I got this idea, you know, I got this idea and it's a little different, you know, a little different than what they wrote for the scene. And I just, uh, I said, what is it? He goes, I just, like I gotta do it for you. And so he does this monologue and I said, you just fucking came up with that just now? And he goes, Yeah, 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 yeah. I just came up with it now. I said, Okay. Well it's 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 really it's great. It's great. Let's do that instead. He goes, Do you think they'll go for it? And I said, Yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, Come on, let's go inside. So we go inside. And I said, Rory, Rory, listen, make sure that Andre has a full mag on the camera. <laughs> and he goes, Well, can you guys show me what you're gonna do? I said, No, just just roll the camera. Amazing. And so we did that in like one take. Um and um, you know Years later, there was speculation that maybe Quentin didn't come up with that monologue on the way uh, to the site <laughs> because uh, I heard that it was a bit that Roger Avery used to do at the video store.
3: Uh, oh. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but I think uh, yeah. Quentin, uh, you know, knew it would land. Yeah. You know, so um, yeah. yeah, it was a uh, yeah, it was it was a it was an, it was a fun evening. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, cool. That's great stuff, Todd. Thanks so much. Sure.
0: Okay, so that was Todd Field, and now this is Noah Baumbach, director of no. White. No no. no, no intervention. I just like doing it. it makes me laugh anyway that is it on that note is it for this uh, the first Empire podcast proper of 2023 join us next week for more film related fun we'll be joined by Les Butler Jerry Butler is back on the Empire podcast and everything is right again Jerry Butler and Mike Coulter stars of the movie simply known as Plain. And yes, we talked about that <laughs> to, to very funny uh, degrees.
1: Please, please let there be two sequels, Train and Automobile.
0: <laughs> that would be amazing. Uh, they are the guests on next week's Emperor podcast or maybe someone else uh, I honestly can't remember. I've gone to the new year with a I've really revamped my organisational powers really recharged mm-hmm. I'm fully on top of who's on the podcast at all times all times so that's what's going to happen on next week's podcast uh, in the meantime it is time to say goodbye to my two colleagues of such lethal cunning James Dyer goodbye he's on the clock <laughs> so <Sorry> he <laughs> I f- goodbye I, I want to go for lunch Thank I you. forgot we pay you by the word That's now don't we? <laughs> we can't afford to pay more than one word uh, it's goodbye from Helen O'Hara Toodaly. indeed 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 uh, and it's goodbye for me as well I am off to frankly have lunch with these reprobates and uh, we've this has been a quite long podcast uh, recording so we're eating into our lunchtime and if we have a long lunch then that means pilot is going to be affected and the That's last right. thing I'd want to do would be to in some way diminish James's pilot. Experience. I literally
2: texted Boyd just now and said, Can we push pilot back by 20 minutes?
5: So we, we need a building. And that frankly. would be perfect,
2: except he listens to this podcast. He will know that
0: I did that and why. There you go. Mm. And this podcast right. is free. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Bye.